You are listening to the Thundercling Podcast. Podcast. <laughs> Just rippling abs. How are we going to get fucking sponsored by these guys if we can't even get the name right? Did you say you're doing wrestling moves? Oh god, I'm bleeding. Jason Kale's walking around on stilts. It's fucked up. My name is Dave. And my name is Feedy. And you are listening to The, the Thundercling Podcast. Podcast. Happy holidays. Yeah, yeah, happy, yeah. How happy, was, happy holidays. It's holiday Feedy. season, dude. It, it sure came, is, buddy. Fucking came out of nowhere. I feel like. Hey, we can say Christmas again. Fucking. It's, we can, it's we not can, canceled anymore? No, not anymore. Not okay. since 2016. Cool. Merry Christmas, dog. Hey, thanks, man. Did you have a good Thanksgiving? I had a really good Thanksgiving. Uh, I, I had it not a, a super Thanksgiving, Why? like not the best Thanksgiving. You didn't go on like a cool Thanksgiving, like Joe's giving or like Roy giving, Roy giving or like Red Rocks. Gi- I, that's probably not actually what they call either of those last two ones. Red but Rocks giving. Red Rocks giving. <laughs> no, I no. didn't. You know what I did? What? I packed a U-Haul hmm. by myself all day long because I moved over the Thanksgiving break while my girlfriend Aww. is in an artist residency You're so sweet. in France. So wow. I did the loading and the packing mostly all by myself. Here's a story about that. Though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I knew that Thanksgiving day, it was my day off from work. I was going to pack up the U-Haul. So I went to Safeway and I bought myself a big gigantic pizza and yeah. I bought a package of extra pepperonis and yeah. onion and I was going to put mm-hmm. all the extra fixins on it. And I also bought a party sized bag of crinkle lays in oh, some, in two gosh. different dips. And I was just going to have oh. eating day and yeah. pack all day, but I was so tired that I didn't even get to the pizza. And all I did for my Thanksgiving meal was eat the party sized bag of Lay's all by myself in two cans of dip. That's the saddest thing I've ever heard. Yeah. Where you, just, you, you were in packed. your bed. You're just in your bed covered in chips and crying. <laughs> it was stuck in my oh chest my hair. But every time I woke up, I, I had a little snack. I just kind of fiddled around in my chest hair and pulled a little crumb out. and was like, oh, man, man, I love Lay's. I had even had some dip on there. There was like a splotch of dip on my nipple. So I'd like nipple scoop it. Nipple scoop. And I'd put the nipple dip. Sc- That's where it comes from. Nip dip is what it was. Wow, man. I mean, I can't. And so that was my Thanksgiving. How was your Thanksgiving? You know, it was nice. You know, flew back, snowy, snowy countryside. Did you take the Thundercling jet? Yep. Did you have that the this pers- weekend? Yeah, yeah. Sort of yep. yeah, people are always surprised that we have a jet, but that's. It's not that big a deal. Yeah, it's not that a big of a deal. A lot of people have them. You know, saw the family. We laughed. We cried. We played board games and bowled. Wow. Ate food until we. Just it, the love was overwhelming, and just the non loneliness was overwhelming. Oh, yeah. that I got that little <laughs> dig in there. Do you guys have any nip dip? No nip dip, unfortunately. No, but well, we, yeah, I brought it up, but family wasn't that psyched on nip dip, so they weren't prostrate in bed in a no. lonely house when mm-hmm. the heat was almost ready to be turned off because they were moving out the yeah, next they were, day. They were getting kicked out, yeah, kicked out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like, we got evicted. Well, you know what, you I feel like a little bit of a sad phase followed followed a great success for you 
you know you had a great yeah. success at real rock if anyone was at the denver showings y'all saw dave up there he was yeah buddy he was having a good time up there saying his little jokes making people laugh yeah he was throwing <laughs> throwing joshua tree chalk that he didn't want it into the crowd oh dude don't say that <laughs> oh shit don't say that <laughs> get in trouble um it was it that was uh that, i think that was the best real rock that denver has ever seen yeah. we had many thousands of climbers show up for four showings in two days. It was so much fun. It was so much fun. Such a good slate of movies this year. Oh my God. If you haven't seen them, get out as quick as possible. Get out to to them. Yeah. But I mean, I suppose we should, we were just chatting about how we wanted to broach this subject. Uh, before we got on the mics here, cause it's so incredibly sad, but as you all know, climbing lost a luminary, a character, a climber with one of the deepest resumes and biggest personalities in our sport, Correct. Brad Gobright, yes, who was killed in an accident Portrero on, Chico. Uh, in Portrero Chico in Mexico. Um, and it's so sad. So we just want to offer our condolences to the family and all of you yeah, listeners who knew, who knew him, of course. So we don't want to eulogize him, though, because yes. we didn't really know Brad. I met Brad, and we'd been chatting about him coming on the podcast, um, which is sad, selfishly for us. But, uh, yeah, James Lucas, I think. James Lucas wrote a really nice piece. Uh, it was, I think it might have been for... Climbing. Cl- it was for yeah. climbing. Um, definitely highly recommend reading that if you want to learn more about Brad's life and all his friends. And Brad's Facebook page was kind of taken over by his mom, and it's incredibly um, emotional to read what she's written on there. But if you're feeling morose and sad like we all are, this has certainly hit me harder than any of the freaking many accidents and deaths that climbing has had over the last couple of years. Yeah. Speaking of that, the one yeah. thing I did want to say about that accident is, you know, right when it happened, fucking predictably, Mountain Project and Ugh. all of the super topos of the world, even yes. though they're long gone, uh, exploded and like, oh, fucking, you, you need to tie it. That's how you die, man. Yeah. You're going to die if you don't fucking tie a knot in the end of your rope, if you don't find the middle of your rope. First of all, not to equivocate it to the gun debate and like we can't talk let's give it time because i don't believe in that you should be able to talk about it but to have such a strong reaction in that way is to not understand i think that each and every one of us if you're a core climber and if you've been climbing 10 years or 15 years and you climb on a rope as most of us do that all of us all of us have made mistakes that could have been lethal every single one of us on my first day of climbing i should have killed myself and fucking everybody else i was climbing with until a guy nearly tackled me and showed me how to belay properly and i won't go into how bad that was but the real point of what i'm trying to say i think is that we all make these mistakes that could be lethal because we're fucking playing in a lethal sport yes like climbing is if you really reflect on it climbing is incredibly dangerous Every single time you're at the top of a pitch setting up your uh, to get lowered or cleaning the anchors, you could fucking die. Every single time. Yeah. 
it's incredibly dangerous and we take it for granted. But the thing is, what happened to Brad and what happens to a handful of people every single year, I don't know how many people, maybe a dozen a people every Repelling year is very dangerous. in the 20 plus years I've been climbing, it happens every single year to many people. It's making a mistake and it's that intersection of bad luck at the same time. Yes. So we've all had bad luck and maybe we break a leg or maybe you break a back or maybe you just scrape yourself and then we've all made mistakes and then we get to reflect on, oh shit, man, we yes. get to learn from that mistake. And it's this like super unfortunate intersection of a simple mistake that is easily correctable and then bad luck meaning yeah, I mean, head on. I can't describe a better example of this than uh, a few months ago when I was climbing in uh, Kalimnos and our, uh, we were hanging out underneath a, a root and our friends were just, we were just chatting, we were eating some lunch and all of a sudden we hear a rock and a bowling ball sized piece of limestone, like a tufa broke off from about a hundred feet up and landed two feet away from a friend of ours who was like squatting and like making a sandwich. Oh. And quite frankly, that person very easily sh should, probably should have like got very lucky that they didn't die. Yeah. Cause that would have killed them hundred percent. And it's, you know, then in hindsight, it would have been very easy to be like, oh, like, you're in a crag, always wear your helmet. But, yeah, like, as you said, climbing or any other sport, there's a level of danger, inherent risk that we kind of sometimes take for granted. And it's it's really hard to be 100% on top of respecting all the dangers at all times. And we all rely a little bit on uh, good luck sometimes. And each other. Yeah. And each other. If you see something going down at the crag, man, make your voice heard. Uh, another example of like just I'm lucky to be here is my first ever trip to Eldo in 2000, 2001 or something. I was working at a gear shop in Denver and still kind of casting about for partners because I just moved here from Iowa in 2000. And I found this kid. He was like 18, 19 years old, super psyched. So we went out climbing. We climbed some two-pitch, three-pitch. I don't remember what it was. Some easy thing. But on the second pitch, God, we, had, we must have had friends on the ground. I just don't remember who they were. But I'm getting lowered from the second pitch as we're coming down. And somebody on the ground, I think it was a friend, was like, whoa, whoa, stop, stop, stop. And I was like, what the fuck? Because I was tied into the rope. And I looked down at the belayer, and he's got like 14 inches yeah. of rope left. And I would have gone straight off the end of that. So I had to like, I don't remember how I got out of it. Maybe did, grabbed onto the rock and down climbed. It was only like a 5'6", five, 5'7", five, super easy thing. But it's just, you know, bad luck didn't intersect with with our mistake that day yeah but it easily could, could have. have yeah i mean fa there's so many factors in climbing you can't you can't realistically keep those factors in mind while you're concentrating so i mean obviously preparation goes a long way and like double checking each other and all that stuff priority always like you said say something if you see something i do want to mention that i think my thoughts are for sure with the brad gobright's partner that day because oh, that man. is a really really hard situation to be in probably right now is 
being in a climbing accident where your partner died, especially with someone who's kind of a high profile athlete. And, uh, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of feelings of guilt and whatnot in that whole thing. So hopefully he's doing. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good point. Uh, just, I guess the point is is fucking don't be too self-righteous out there because we're all making mistakes. And second of all, be diligent. You know what I mean? Be so diligent when you're climbing. It doesn't take any time. Um, Because Brad did make a mistake. And he, you know, didn't follow due diligence. But um, it's still a tragedy. And we just feel so bad here. But... (sighs) (laughs) Anyways, our guest today... (laughs) We had to get that out of the way. Okay. Keenan Wagner. Oh, my God. Keenan Wagner. So... The cool thing about this is not many people probably know, not many like average climbers know who no. Keenan Wagner is. No. But. But Keenan Wagner is best described as like climbing Illuminati. <laughs> like, dude. He has had a hand in all the major shiftings and events in climbing as a sport, as a, as a culture. He's been at the forefront of the gym developments, uh, youth climbing scene. Comp uh, scene, comp scene, setting scene, cruise ship scene. <laughs> yes. So if you you guys have all heard the seven the what seven degrees of bacon seven is that yeah, it seven degrees of separation seven bacon yeah. seven all right seven <laughs> degrees of separation of bacon of bacon Kevin that bacon. is fucking Keenan Wagner yes so let's see let's see if we can go through this real quick okay he started a gym in Florida extreme in the nineties X hyphen T-R-E-M-E. What's sick? I've been there. Uh, as Keenan calls it, X-Trauma. X-Clam. X-Clam. <laughs> um, that is the gym that Matt Siegel and Megan, Megan Martin, Martin and, and a bunch Caesar Valencia. Max Zalutkin, yep. Randy Hill. A bunch of extremely strong climbers came out of this gym in Florida. <laughs> so weird. And Keenan was a coach to Megan and Matt. Mentored under Tony Nianiro as a route setter. Became one of the first u.s level five international route setters for the ifsc set like 10 world cups while he's working at this gym that he fucking didn't even know how to they just built, they just it, built it in it. an air like, hanger you know what in the 90s yes. in florida some dude from royal caribbean's cruise line walks in and hands him a car hey, he's can like, you build this would you like to build some walls for our steamships yes. so fucking keenan is the guy who built the walls on the cruise ships and he still owns that company and he's still doing it what happened next then he moved he decided to move to boulder because uh, to be next to climbing next to climbing because he's like i'm a I, i'm calling myself a climber i should live near <laughs> yes, some climbing indeed and he became eventually became the ceo of usa climbing yes so he worked with usa climbing he got that level five setter yeah, deal right. and then he was coaching and he had a hand in Oh my God! He had a hand as CEO. He had a hand in transforming comps, mm-hmm. in professionalizing USA climbing, in negotiating basic, the deals against the Olympics, negotiating the deal with ESPN. Yes, which he couldn't talk about. Yeah, I was <laughs> very disappointed. You'll hear that part. Um, and then he left that. His his latest venture is uh, he kind of felt like he had done all he could do with USA climbing. And so we opened another gym in Colorado Springs. Yes. With his brother. And he, we, we got to go down on their soft opening yes. the day before they, uh, it was like their VIP opening. Very cool event. 
yeah, really cool, beautiful, beautiful gym. gym. Very like, nice gym. Room for all kinds of expansion if they want it. Yeah, but, if you're if you're down in Colorado Springs, you should feel very psyched right now. You have because you have a brand spanking new gym. Lead walls some. are bad ass. All the roots in there were set by the super qual like extremely skilled setters that Keenan hired to come and put up the initial set oh man we talk so, about that too yeah so so there's a lot of good stuff about keenan and uh we don't want to keep you any longer this so is, <laughs> this is a fascinating one for you true climbing nerds who like to look at the deal yeah. with the innards of the sport not uh-huh. just like hey, fucking that fucking crimp on the v15 was amazing <laughs> screw you this isn't for you this isn't for you this is for the nerds the true climbing nerds dude nerds we love you guys okay nerds. Uh, 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 and we we go on bye nerds bye down in the city with the wind patterns change blown around the buildings all tall and strange questionnaires for climbers to like see how they can build infrastructure that mm-hmm. climbers can use so they're like and there's there is I'm guessing that there is no like Roy Climbers Coalition Roy is like a town of 200 people, maybe. So whose responsibility? Yeah. It is. I mean, if it's the Denver user group or the front range user Mm -hmm. group, then I'd argue then it is their responsibility, even though it's technically in New Mexico, right? It's not the Las Cruces crew. Mm -hmm. No. Right? But But whose responsibility is it to like get the word out? Well, yours apparently because they asked you to. I know, but I'm like... Is it the gym's responsibility? Do gyms have something to say about that, it? Well, I think that that's the best place for the gym is just through the communication. It's I don't exactly. think it's, I don't think it's necessarily on the gyms to take any kind of stance about things. I mean, they're more than welcome to, and I know what kind of stance they're likely to yeah. take. I think the biggest opportunity with the gym is just the communication and the re- the reach that it can have just with the click of a, a button. Truly, mm-hmm. yeah, sending out like having something about Roy being a part of your newsletter or whatever. Sure, absolutely. Like if and especially if you're gonna uh, if you're gonna do a profile about a route that has a photo, then pulling down on some sick problem in Roy. Don't just leave it at the problem. Talk a little bit about what's at stake there. Yeah, because it, it is gym climbers. Come on. It's all gym it's climbers. climbers. It's, it's, it's boulders, people that have, dude. Yes. They're gym climbers. Absolutely. It's people that haven't been exposed to the outdoors before. This is their first foray into the wilderness, and, and it's the Wild West down there. Yeah, it's a Christ super sakes. fresh, it super is. untouched, relatively, and yeah. Well, it's the, it's the ironic thing about this year's Real Rock was they had that Joe's Valley vignette. Did yeah, you see that? I did see it. Yeah. Okay. And then they have Nina climbing and Roy, which is why they got a hold of me to give to my talk spiel. About it. Got yeah. It. But the fucking irony is, is that they're on like the exact same path, Joe's and Roy, when like Joe's was in, there was shit everywhere. Yep. And then money got funneled into it from the Salt, Salt Lake, Lake Climbers City. Coalition. Exactly. Right. And so they Salt, built the Salt Lake Climbers Alliance did it. Yes. That's the user group, right? It's not, it's not as though it's their backyard, but it's, they're the ones using it. So they took responsibility for it. Yeah. It's not like Orangeville right. has like a climbing group, the Emory yeah. climbing community. Right. Yeah. So I think it's access fund is heavily involved right now with whatever's going on too. In Roy. Yeah. Cause like, uh, the new Mexico bouldering guidebook Instagram just posted like, please donate right now. Cause black diamonds doubling donations. They're matching. They're matching. And, uh, I think the New Mexico Climbing Coalition is like desperately needing more support because I don't know. We were there at the end of the year 
last year, last season, and it was the campsites were completely packed, and then it was just like the road to Roy had just hun- like hundreds of people just stopped. So and it, it was it, crazy. And the idea of like a, a Roy Rock Ranch, the additional opportunity is better education of those people who yeah. are exposing to it for the first time. Like I think about the reach that I've got with three gyms in Florida, right? Mm-hmm. The people coming out of there, they've never climbed on rock no. before. They've never been in the mountains before. They may have been in the swamp wilderness, but they don't know. <laughs> like that's a different set of considerations. <laughs> Come on. Right. Uh, but the opportunity there for hosting something like that at any kind of climbing location, mm-hmm. it's, you absolutely have a, a, a market at the click of a button that's, willing to spend money like that to go on a climbing vacation. Yes, absolutely. But the additional responsibility, if you're putting all that together. Trade-offs. Yeah. The responsibility is the big question, right? Yeah. Because it's got to fall. I mean, it falls on the user. I was thinking about like these users down in Florida. Never been on real rock ever. They're just going to the gym. But the gym is their, the gateway to our public lands. Yeah which they own just as much as Alex Honnold Mm -hmm. or any pro climber, right? They have just as much ownership of it, but they have no idea how to use it. But you ask them to hunt iguanas and alligators, dude, they know exactly what to do. (laughs) Right, exactly. But their their daddy told them how, right? (laughs) So that's the thing though, too. Like I was... uh, I was raised in a family, a hunting and fishing family. That's how I was exposed to the outdoors. It wasn't through mm-hmm. climbing first. Uh, I learned those ethics through those, those user groups mm-hmm. before I ever entered the outdoors as a climber. And I, by that point, I already knew yeah. fucking common sense. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I mean, as a gym owner, though, what is the responsibility for you as being like the guy with the staff? <laughs> At think, the gateway, you know? I remember one, I think back to the, the communication opportunity. Uh, we've already got a, a member group here developed. We haven't even opened doors until tomorrow. We already mm-hmm. have a member base that's really, really rabid for climbing. Uh, I realized the other day that Castlewood Canyon is the closest climbing mm-hmm. area to us on the way down when I was driving 83. Maybe Garden of the Gods is closer. You guys got... you. Ute Pass as well. Ute Pass is up in Woodland Park, but most of it's been closed down because you, I don't think you can access it. This is what um, Austin Guyman was telling me, is that uh, it's just a pain in the ass to get there and to access legally. What about mm. you? Then is it Ute Valley, the little bouldering area? I don't know. The, like, in I've been this... to Ute Pass up 24. Okay, I'm talking about Ute Valley then. There's oh. like a bouldering area in the city. It's in a subdivision. Oh, gotcha. No, I haven't even, it's I haven't like even seen this. It's like up to... Shit rock, really. but well, it's fun. Castlewood, come on, right? Oh like, yeah, exactly. But I mean, uh, so <laughs> it may be shit rock, but maybe we have some responsibility there. Like if yes. if we've if we end up impacting the number of climbers that naturally look towards there, it's a bouldering area. Mm-hmm. It's close. Mm-hmm. Temperatures on the plains right now are much better than in the mountains. It's probably inevitable that we will have some impact on the use of that place as a climbing area, right? And you can climb there all winter. Correct. In like the Buddha cave. So I'd I'd argue that, uh, uh, I'd argue that, uh, oh, sorry, I can even turn the music off in the gym. No worries. (laughs) (laughs) No worries, dude. I'm running DJ also. Uh, 
No, I, I think that if, if we end up, well, regardless of whether or not we end up making an impact on it, I think that that would probably be my first target to try and take any responsibility towards. Yeah. Um, it's a state park, so I think that it's, pre- it's, it's probably managed as well as the rest of the Colorado state park system relative to climbing Eldo, Staunton, Castlewood Canyon. Uh, it really seems like the state park system knows what it's doing in managing climbing. Yeah, it seems like it. Especially in consideration of other states that it's a, a shit show. Um, so it's not to say that they absolutely need the help, but if they need help with cleanups, that's again, I, with a click of a button, I have access mm-hmm. to 500 potential volunteers easily, quickly. Um, that would be willing potentially to take a little bit of ownership of that park that's right down the street. That would be awesome. We, I've done cleanups there before. Have you? Yeah. It, I was, talk, I was talking like about like no climber trash, but it still feels good. Right. Uh, well, I was mm-hmm. talking with Branford today just to try and better understand, like, what is there a color? I don't even know if there's a Colorado Springs Climbing Coalition or, or what the, the mm-hmm. Access Fund subgroup is that operates in the Colorado Springs area. Is it the South Platte Climbers? I have no idea. Um, but I, I was... Uh, the reason I, I bring it up is uh, just in wondering who's doing the work that like Boulder Climbing Council was doing up north yeah. or Front Range Climbing Stewards. Uh, I had a, a great day a couple years ago doing a trail building day in chaos, in lower chaos, with Front Range, Front Range Climbing Stewards. And they had set everything up where it showed up at the Ranger headquarters at 6 a.m. and uh, split everybody into groups, um, hike us up there, and they had already fallen a tree and split it. So, but they allowed us to uh, to skin it, and then chop the uh, and, and and cut out the uh-huh. groove in which it would sit, and uh, and then mount the whole the bridge. Like that was a day of work, and there was another crew doing some other shit. And every time I walked by there, I could say, hey, I get I helped build yeah, that bridge. Really cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I, I I think that's cool. I I hope that other people would think that thing is kind of cool. Yes. If we need some bridges made in Castlewood mm-hmm. Canyon, I'd love to build some bridges in Castlewood Canyon. Is that something you're you guys are working on here? Is to, is to really harvest? Oh. <laughs> you alright, man? Is <laughs> to really uh, create that kind of community vibe? Just being able to communicate with your members? Because I, I I'd, I'd like to think so, but I mean, to me, sometimes with climbing gyms, the, the word community is sometimes yeah. kind of trite, right? Like yes. it's overused. Um, I'm not. This is a very personal statement. I'm just not sure how I feel about other people's expectation of what that community can mean mm-hmm. or where they're coming from with their example of their climbing community. Like my Miami climbing community, very different than the Boulder climbing community. Right. Uh, so I don't know. It, it, I, I definitely want to create a family feeling in this facility. Yeah. Um, I want people to be friendly to each other, obviously. Uh, I want them to be genuine with each other. Um, and thinking about, uh, like, you, you know, this coming from movement family, how much they, they, um, um, they put forth those core values, right? Like, there's, there's some very, very strong core values that movement as a mm-hmm. business possesses that is exemplified and all the way down to every single employee. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have yet to develop those kinds of core values. I think that they will happen organically as long as I'm paying attention to them yeah. and, and trying to initiate the, the thought process behind them. But we, st- I mean, I'll be honest, we still don't know who we are. We, we haven't yeah, even opened our doors yet. Right. So yeah. I can't say that we have a, like, we have a, a we don't have a sense of community yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's my intention to try and build that for sure, um, but it'd be silly to, to, for me to think that we have any kind of voice right now or mm-hmm. any kind of well-developed value system for the business. 
I think it's pretty hard to build a community with these big gyms too. Like the modern gym, it reminds me like in early 2000s, your gym was a fucking community. Like you knew, I climbed at Paradise Climbing Gym, Mm -hmm. this little gym in Denver. You knew everybody, you had, you know, had beers with your friends. Um, And it reminds me of like the little weightlifting joint where like a little home-owned mom and pop like gym Mm -hmm. where all the big dudes and girls know each other and then a Bally's. Nobody fucking knows anybody. They see them all the time. They don't say anything. It's got to be harder to build a community in a facility this big, you know. Do you think that anybody goes to Bally's looking for community? No. Fuck no. Fuck no. But they come here looking for it. I guarantee you they come here looking for it. Yeah, I suppose so. Right? No, yeah, you're right. But I think they go to the small little weightlifting gym for a community. Yeah, Otherwise, true. you would go to Mountain Strong that. too. Like in Denver, they'd still go to Mountain Strong for sure. Yeah, right. There is there is absolutely a sense of community that they've created around that facility. DBC, DBC as well. DBC as well is for a sure. really tight little community, especially mm-hmm. DBC North. Uh, you, uh, Springs Climbing Center has it. Yeah, they've already got that very very tight, well developed community of friends, climbing partners. Yeah. And, mm. and with you guys I'm opening curious. this gym, it totally shows that there's room for a bunch more of those communities. I mean, Colorado Springs. I, Col- is- yeah, in Colorado, period. I don't, I'm not, I don't know about any other states, but man, Colorado, Colorado is crazy. nuts. It is nuts. <laughs> Four years ago, five years ago, there was no major gym in, in the Denver area. There was like Thrill Seekers. Yep. What? And DBC, sorry. Thrill like, Seekers, DBC, and Rockin' and Jammin' was a big gym. That's Thornton Centennial, yeah. Well, I mean, ah, Denver no. metro area. Uh, you guys heard about the new gym open in Parker, right? In Valley. Parker? Yeah, in Valley, Grand Valley. And is it not Grand Valley? It's the Valley Climbing. Uh, Holy crap. John Cone and Augie Cone. I've heard that that was in the works for a long time. They're, they're moving. John might be here tonight, actually, if he does. If no I see him walk kidding. by, I'll pull him in. Parker? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. And uh, very similar to this place. Uh, 21st century yep. modern climbing gym, full scale. Yeah, it's it's really oh, cool nice. that there is a distinct aesthetic between 21st century climbing gym and 20th century. Hey, and I say, I say that I say that knowing like I yeah. own those gyms exactly. Too. I've owned gym version 1.0. <laughs> I love for sure. I, that's my favorite version. I love version 1.0. It's just like so nostalgic. Uh, pea gravel on the ground. <laughs> yeah. Like we, shredded rubber tires. Yeah, we talk about mm-hmm. those fondly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Our my first gym was shredded rubber tires and a racquetball court. I mean, I, I so the the pro, I think that pea gravel is the safest landing surface. It's just so messy. It yeah, is so gross. messy. Really gross. And if you like your wedding ring falls off or something like, like I good just luck, run dude. a metal detector over it. Find, <laughs> find a bunch smart. of stuff. In yeah, there. exactly. So how did you? Yeah, how did you get started? Climbing? How did you get started in the gym business? Is what I want to know. Uh, what in that was a long time ago and it was in florida it was in florida 1997 uh so maybe between i'd say between the when did i graduate high school 1993 i graduated high school me too nice congratulations congratulations to you too (laughs) i was one years old (laughs) congratulations to you you. more actually more congratulations it was a big moment in my life for sure uh Graduated high school, uh, went to college, and intended to be a high school history teacher. At that time, same time, uh, my brother was living in Divide, Colorado, 
He had moved to Divide from Florida to sell Where's life divide? insurance. It's just up 24, just past Woodland Park. Okay. It's tiny. Yeah. Um, and it's very close to where the Patrick Frazee murder or Kelsey Barrett murder just happened. Oh my God. Do you guys listen to true crime, true crime yes, podcasts at all? A lot. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. You, you I mean, I, a little bit. We'll have to, we'll have to talk about that. should get in that. touch with the, what's, up, what's going on in the world, the real world. The, the real true crime <laughs> world? Uh, so he's living, the, he's, he's living in Divide and he finds uh, rock climbing specifically through Springs Climbing Center. He goes to climbing at Springs Climbing Center and falls in love with rock climbing. Uh, I come out here to visit him, go skiing in the winter, climb at the gym, uh, just visit. And he gets tired of trying to sell life insurance and says um, he wants to open a climbing gym. He wants to open a climbing gym in Miami. And this is still in the 90s. This is in the 90s. This is 1997. So he says, uh, he comes to me. He's, you know, at the time, I'm actually putting uh, job applications out to become a history high school, yeah. high school history teacher. And he asks if I wanted to help him with this gym. Uh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> right? like, that's not that hard of a decision. No. It's 24, just out of college, right? Oh, my yes. God. Dream job. <laughs> Correct. Uh, and I, at that point, I had climbed at a gym twice once with him at uh, springs climbing center and then mm-hmm. once when i was at uh, uh in Bur- at killington i was skiing in killington and went to a gym i think in burlington and a- after that those were my two experiences um wow soon after that we started building we found an old airplane hangar in miami with uh, 35 foot ceilings rented it um we actually asked the guys at Springs Climbing Center to design the gym for us. Whoa, uh, so badass. Austin Guyman's dad, Rick Guyman, actually designed those walls for us. Whoa. Eric Christensen, who is also part of the original ownership group at Springs Climbing Center, uh, he came down to help us build. Uh, and it was, we built it ourselves. Um, wood frame, um, sprayed stucco on the walls for texture out of a hopper gun. It was, yeah, that's OSHA, so sweet. It had OSHA been there. <laughs> Uh, 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 there was no way that that job site was getting approved no way <laughs> luckily they weren't they didn't correct. know what the hell you guys yeah, were doing correct right? i could have sold them on anything at that point i don't know they <laughs> exactly. wouldn't know what they were doing modern art, art sculptures yeah exactly <laughs> holy uh, shit wow so and we opened doors april 1998 and this is uh extreme with yes. an x extreme 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 yeah extreme extreme that's them. That's a good. That's a good pronunciation. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Thank you. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, the, 1998 opening a climbing gym in Miami, Florida is probably not the best idea. I Did you guys do like market research or anything like that? I, I mean, no. Not the really. shit you do now, the you shit, had no, no idea no. to do back then. Correct. Absolutely. Like this is a wing and a prayer. We did it with uh, loans from family and like on the back of a napkin. I was comparing it the other day. Uh, I think that we spent $7,500 on handholds in opening Miami. Uh, oh my gosh. We just hit six figures. I was going to say, holy shit. Wow, man. Just that one little category alone can mm-hmm. represent the growth in this industry, yes. the scale of, with which we're yeah. operating. Uh, and that I, I could have probably spent more, honestly. I'm sure. It's holy moly, dude. So how was, uh, how did you like learn to run that business? 
Uh, like, how did it go? And how, how did people it was find grim. you? It was pretty grim, honestly, because this is, uh, we put it in an industrial park in, in the suburbs. So this is Southwest Miami. It's not like we were on South Beach, right? <laughs> <laughs> With glass front Correct. windows. Exactly. It, yeah, we didn't have a road like this that we're sitting next to. I mean, uh, it just wasn't the same scale. It wasn't the same thing. Industrial park, old airplane hangar. There's not a single window in the building. Um, and it's kind of grim. Like people think you're crazy. You put in the, 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 the advertising that we did was putting a, a, a listing in the yellow pages. If that gives no. you an indication <laughs> yeah, of the way. time when we were operating. <laughs> Nothing in climbing, the back of climbing magazine. No, we or, eventually did that too. Like yeah. cl- the, the classified ads in climbing and rock and ice. But that, I mean, that's about it. We never did a single radio ad, uh, any kind wow. of print ad, like what was the turnout like? Yeah, how <laughs> did those people find you? It was pretty grim to begin with. Wow. Uh, honestly, um, the thing that actually ended up sustaining the business initially was the discovery of cruise ship climbing wall industry, what? which walked in the front door within the first year of us opening the doors in Miami. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm at the front desk of the gym in Miami, and uh, no one else is in the gym. Go figure. <laughs> it's, it's the middle of the day, right? <laughs> And uh, this dude walks in and uh, he's like, yeah, I, I just came in to look around and see what you guys do. I was like, okay, cool. You're and like, that'll be $20. No, <laughs> no, 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 not at all. Uh, I was like, well, I'll be here. Just if you got yeah. any questions, come, come back and talk to me. And uh, he came back and he's like, well, uh, here's my card. I, I, I work for Royal Caribbean Cruise Lines Whoa. and we're interested in putting climbing walls on our cruise ships. Have you guys ever done anything like that? Or can you do something like that for us? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yep. We can yes. absolutely do this for you. No fucking Dude, that's way. so cool. Oh and, my God. Uh, it, then it, it turns into, um, can you train the staff regularly? Yes, mm-hmm. we can do this. Can you sell us all the equipment? Yep. Can you inspect the walls? Can you inspect the ropes and sell us all new equipment anytime you need? Can you fly to Holy Barcelona? Shit. Can you do this at... 16 different locations around the world for us. Uh, yes. So it starts, <laughs> we, we, so we, we say yes to all of this, right? <laughs> Having never, oh, never done any do. of it really, right? Oh my God. And uh, we call up Entree Pre Climbing Walls and the Entree Pre USA, uh, knowing that we're not going to put wood and stucco walls on the cruise ships and, and call it good, right? <laughs> Need a bunch of four by eight slats of plywood. <laughs> Uh, so we, we call those guys and at the time I mean Entree Pre uh, they were doing the X Games at the time right? Yes. remember those big yes, huge those fucking lead walls awesome. they had right? yeah uh, they had the fiberglass mosaic panels they're, mm-hmm. they're shape panels gray panels on a three by three or one meter square right yes um, stainless steel frame so we end up um, pitching them on number so what we did is, is put working crews together to run 12 hour shifts and we were operating on the Port of Miami on a dock. We would build these freestanding pillar climbing walls. Whoa. And then they would bring over a crane on a, like a, a boat. Yeah. Pick up the climbing wall, put it down onto a barge, ship this thing over to the cruise ship, get a bigger crane to lift it <laughs> oh off the barge, and drop God. the whole thing down onto the, uh, onto the deck of the ship, bolt it all down. That's and, a huge investment for oh, those that guys. Is a, yeah, they were committed. Yes, for sure. And, and well, they were initially, I think, I think it was initially just three ships. So we did this with three walls mm-hmm. on three ships, and the response was immediate. Like they're, they're like, okay, we want more of these things. So within the next five years, they're on 
20 ships uh, on Royal Caribbean Cruise Lines. It's now grown to be three different cruise lines uh, with over 30 ships operating across the Wow. World. I mean, is that is that a separate, like... It's a separate business. business. Yeah, yeah, what's that called? It, 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 this is called XTR Services. It is... Extreme. <laughs> correct. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. Yes. <laughs> You need that nice through and, line. Well, the, the, I mean, it's the saving grace is that it doesn't have a hyphen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, no, it's it's actually like in in talking about uh, like when I left USA Climbing and, and left Movement, and there's what I've realized just for me is that it, it in some ways it's just a a matter of putting yourself out there and mm-hmm. saying yes to those opportunities <laughs> as they come your way. Like yes, if you sometimes that's all it takes. Yeah, really, just learn really the true. job on the job. Yep. So, so once you have this cruise ship stuff going on, does does the original Extreme Gym at some point? Like, it starts to do pretty well. It starts to do better. Yeah. yeah so it starts so to do climbing better. just naturally is starting to kind of gain traction. It starts to enter the public consciousness a little bit more. Yeah. Um, people start traveling from other cities that yeah. have been to climbing gyms. They bring their friends in when they're in town in Miami, and it just kind of creates its own thing. Mm-hmm. And it, it does. It definitely happens organically without a whole lot of strategy or forethought as to how do we market yeah. climbing to this market in in Miami. I mean, there must have been so many question marks with the climbing gym industry itself at that time cuz mm-hmm. it's so young, right? Like yep. how does the insurance necessarily work? Like somebody had to be the so, first few people to like figure that out, right? Well, someone someone's some company's got to be willing to to underwrite you first. Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. Uh but I mean, you think about it, it's if you start to compare it to other industries, mm-hmm. um it's not it's not that it's not cost prohibitive risky in any way. Right. Yeah. Like it's, it's not as though the insurance coverage prevents you from doing business. Right. It's still within reason, obviously for us as a business to make margin, but look at other sports that are offered out there. You get, you mean to tell me indoor skydiving isn't paying a large gen, general liability <laughs> policy. There's no fucking way. Okay. Right? Yeah, yeah. There's a large amount that they're paying the insurance company annually, but they're yeah. still making money. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the, and like the, the cruise ship stuff that, that ends up getting split off into its own business mm-hmm. from extreme <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> it ends up broadening its scope of work for the cruise lines also in that they, the, the companies get used to doing business with us. And because we habitually say yes to whatever they ask, mm-hmm. they start to ask if we can service rollerblades. Yep. Oh. Can you service uh, these? Oh, what are these standing wave machines? It's like they yeah, shoot, they yeah, shoot yeah, the yeah. water over the membrane and the you surf, the surf, surf rider or something like this. They ask if we can start servicing those things. Yeah. They're like, we've been doing it for years. <laughs> you get on the phone with surf rider. Hey, uh, we need to send a tech out to get certified stat. <laughs> so, is your company like growing with people as well? Like, you must be hiring. Uh, we're you pretty, guys can't we're pretty do it all stable. Yourself, well, right? we're not doing. There's there's a crew of folks operating internationally at any given time, just with the cruise ship business um, period, and a crew of two people in Melbourne, Florida, managing that business completely for us. Two people. Two people managing wow. the business, and then my guess would be between twelve and fifteen techs traveling. Wow, that's so fascinating. I didn't know any of this they're <laughs> they're, uh, they're looking for qualified individuals too for that work it pays pretty good uh shoot me an email at uh keenan wagoner thunderclings going on a cruise oh, do i have to live oh. in florida no oh, you don't dude. you actually technically don't live anywhere because you're just straight traveling 
Ooh, that sounds pretty good. It can it can be pretty cool. It can get old after a while too, right. man. Well, what I'm doing right now gets pretty fucking old as well. So that sounds pretty good to me. <laughs> this ain't rainbows and butterflies. <laughs> yeah, right. Neither is my day job. Um, one of the things that would be scary back in the like early 2000s running a gym, and I don't even know if you would realize it at the time, but now you do, is like what controls the traffic into your gym is like the national zeitgeist. Because I think of like 2000s, Chris Sharma does the mandala and the bouldering explosion. Yes. Like the golden age of bouldering begins Mm -hmm. like 99, 98 to maybe free Waco. When that movie comes out, it's rampage. I'd argue rampage. Rampage was definitely, yeah. Kickstart free Waco is a little bit more esoteric. True. Um, but that must have been kind God, of scary. Do you still have too. those on VHS? Yes, I have them all on VHS. Do no. you still have a VHS player then? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> what are you going to do with them? I also have the one DVD. Framed, yeah, they're framed and they have like a glowing case. We just. Do you know at the American Alpine Club, their library, you can go in there and they have all of the VCR tapes. Really? Yeah, you can just pull them off and it's the high life. Do they have a player there for you to use too? I don't know. <laughs> I was just there the other day and like, oh my God, free Waco. And it's in its regular case one thing actually i would like to add to the uh the conversation is the generational difference between that late 90s climbing gym culture that voraciously read every piece of print material that they could get their hands on because at the time there wasn't very much video versus today's generation that is getting it through internet and anything except print yes Mm. uh sad so, kinda, me. yeah, yeah, the, the, yeah. I don't. We shouldn't go there yet. I don't think we don't. It's gonna take the whole conversation down. Like, oh, oh. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, it, 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 I mean, it is just what it is. Newspapers, magazines, books, fucking, it, they're all suffering. Right. But right. Uh, and it, Bisharat just Andrew Bisharat just kind of wrote a piece about that. How climbing did. has changed over the last ten years and how the internet just gobbled up. It's, it's an interesting thing because I, I, like I was drawn to the conversation when Valley Uprising came out. Oh, my God. I remember yes. Bishret writing an article like, do we really need this story retold? And I was like, e- we actually do because it's in a format that today's generation is actually going to, to mm-hmm. ingest. Right. If you put out another story about it, no, they're not going to actually read it. But if you put it in video form, the legend can live on. Right. They're not going to go out and find a Steve Roper article. Correct. About Correct. Camp 4. That is an interesting thing about the current climbing generation too, is you can go up to, to newish climbers and they'll know very little about the actual history of climbing and like yep. where it came from, how it started. So yeah, videos like that are super important for, <laughs> but they know exactly what Adam Andre is yes. doing because he puts out the most badass like YouTube videos every week, his road to Tokyo series. Next time someone mentions Andre to you guys, that's under age 20. Ask them if they know who Wolfgang Gulick is. Gulick. Right? No. Like they don't, right? No, no. There's no videos about the guy. There one just came out though. Oh, no, really? Rotpunkt. Have you seen Rotpunkt? This is this a, 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 a uh, it's a magazine, isn't it? No, no. Well, it, it, it is a magazine, but yeah. this is a climbing film about Alex Magos. Okay, and they go back into the history of like German hard sport climbing and Wolfgang Gulick. He's Excellent. really good. He's all and it's in English. It. Yeah. yeah, Excellent. It was done by Ken Etzel, Excellent. that Patagonia From, photographer yeah, yeah. out of Bishop. Yep, yep. It's really good. Good. Excellent. <laughs> yeah. It gives me a little bit of hope that another legend will live on, right? Yeah, yeah. man. But like, how many Wolfgang Gulicks do we have in our history that are not going, whose stories aren't going to be told? 
I think of guys like uh, Jim Carn. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Just in the mid nineties, yep. one of the most, or Scott Franklin, both those two guys I think of, two of the strongest climbers that America has ever produced. Nobody knows who they are. Mm-hmm. I mean, the younger generation Correct. has no fucking clue the contributions that they made. To wasn't Franklin was the first guy to climb five fourteen a in America. Yep. And Karn was just this weirdo powerhouse that today would be bouldering V sixteen. Yeah. Easily. There's, there's a lot of, uh, I think that there's a lot of Jim Carn alive in Sean Bailey. Oh, yeah. Okay. But you just, uh, the, the, not the, it's not a streak of negativity or it's, it's just not, it, it ain't fucking roses and sunshine with those guys. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. That's just yeah. who they are. Yeah. Bailey doesn't play like the social media Fuck game no. really at all. Mm-mm. Doesn't really like being interviewed. Nope. And Karn was just a curmudgeon right like a nasty fucking curmudgeon Mm -hmm. as i hear it if you knew him he was fine but if you didn't know him he didn't have the time of day for you didn't want to play any games yep so you're exactly right that is very similar to. i love him for it i love i love sean for it right we i think that uh this this community really needs more (laughs) players like that like i totally agree with you that's that's got to be one of the best things about the climbing community is that there are so many distinct characters that all have really good personalities and are really just recognizable by that. I think less so today though. So like I, when Daniel Woods got his neck tattoo, <laughs> yeah, everybody gave him shit about it. As a matter of fact, I made a video a, about yeah, it. I wrote a song. Um, but <laughs> it's, wait a second. You wrote a song. Dave wrote a song. You, really? you'll, 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 you can watch it later. No wonder. Daniel oh, there's an animated video. No wonder he didn't show up for that comp dude. Yeah. He knew. Yeah. <laughs> he knew McAllister. For sure. It's a guy that fucking had my eye floating in the sky. <laughs> um, but a lot of people gave him shit like, Oh, it's so stupid. But it's like, man, that's what climbing used to be is these like outcat. Not that Daniel Woods is an outcast, right. a weirdo, but if you just saw that, you'd be like, that's kind of weird to put an eyeball on your neck. <laughs> but that's what climbing used to be. Yeah. A bunch of like iconoclastic against the grain weirdos, but we've, but gone, we've gone mainstream. Has surfing gone mainstream? Oh, yeah. Yeah? Oh, fuck yeah. I mean, those guys are winning like million dollar purses. I, yeah. They're selling board shorts in Iowa. <laughs> I wear them all the time. Yeah. <laughs> you obviously know where from, from Iowa. Iowa. Both of you. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Congratulations thank for you. that also. Yeah. Yep. I know that's sincere, so I will say thank you. <laughs> Hell yeah, I bought board sh- They have surf shops in Iowa. Yeah. Right. I mean, they have surf shops in Boulder. The Ozarks are close. The Ozarks are close. <laughs> beautiful. The Wake. You ride the Wake. Yeah, you well, can. Well, I mean, Iowa's got climbing gyms. Does it have... Yeah. Iowa's got climbing. It one. <laughs> doesn't have those surf wave pools, though. No. It does not. That's, it next, does not. that's next, gentlemen. But I You would, might be right, honestly. That's... That's a good point. You got like if we're taking climbing to the people, someone's got to do it with surfing. Surfing's going to the Olympics too. Yes. You mean to tell me there's not some kid in Atlanta waiting to become a fucking Olympic champion at surfing? I guarantee you there is. Just I, like there's an Olympic champion waiting to be a climber. I've often thought that climbing, because the direction climbing is going, nobody's going to stop it. They're much larger it's powers than any. Yes, much larger powers, much more money than any of us will ever see that are at play here. But I always thought that climbing could learn a bunch from surfing. Like when they started the, uh, what's the pro surfing tour called? World Surf League, is that it? Something like that. 
But I mean, surfing used to be exactly like climbing, right? Like locals only, bunch of grumpy dudes in the water. I mean, you think about uh, a sport that's, if you just put climbing against surfing and, and tell me whether or not, which one's going to be easier to produce as an event, I'm going to take climbing hands down. Oh, yeah. I think, how, yeah. how the fuck am I going to control the yeah, surf? You can't, yeah. It's impossible. The only way to make it a competition in my mind is to standardize and you do that through a wave pool. That's yeah. the only way to do it. Oh, and that sounds if it's terrible. Gonna, it's not. It's not surfing as we know it, right? Well, it's yeah. It's like, not climbing not like, as we know it. Is though, that yeah. climbing as we know it? <laughs> right. Right. He didn't for change t- you the game. I don't know though. For today's generation, it is. It is for sure. For today's it generation, is. I'm saying that uh, for the next generation of surfing, it could be based solely in wave pools, like they never touch salt salt water. Holy crap! Wow. Right. Like I mean, yeah, you're, it's totally possible. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Why would you? There's sharks out there too. Like conditions, like jellyfish, pay the not price, fun, man. You could pay the ultimate price surfing in real waves. Maybe not gonna happen to you at those wave pools, though. Yeah, who knows? I've seen some YouTube videos where people get yeah. Some people pay the, like, they pay the price. They pay the price. Have you guys ever seen the? Uh, my <laughs> wife introduced me to this. My new favorite Instagram. I don't have Instagram, but I'll access it online uh, on the internet. Mm-hmm. Uh, kook slams. You know this? Yes, oh, yes, I love good. kook slams. It's just surfers. It's not surfers sh- only. It's just kooks eating shit of I any discipline, any genre. There, that is a, a amazing subgenre of Instagram, which is just like morons doing th- things, kook slams, where it's just people just failing. <laughs> The uh, uh, I, and I think that I first was exposed to them when they had this. Inc- there was some incident at a wave pool in China when someone flipped a lever that they shouldn't have and let loose <laughs> millions of a gallons crusher. of water. There's one for climbing. It's called Gumby Nation. Gumby Nation. Really? Gumby's Nation. I mean, yeah. Gumby and Kook is the same thing. There's hey, a bunch can, of. Can we unmask Rock Talk? Do you, you know you who know, Rock Talk is? I think is? I know who it is too. I heard who it was. Oh, who is it? Oh man! I mean, Feet. okay, three. To, I don't know who it is. I don't have oh. anything to say. Who okay. is it? I don't know if I should say it then. Why shouldn't you, shouldn't you? You actually shouldn't. I don't think. Yeah, I don't know if I should. I'll tell you after. Yeah, we'll, oh. save, we'll save it. Okay. <laughs> He's pretty good. I fucking like Rock Talk. He or she is doing good work over there. God's work, as a matter of fact. About. I didn't like. We the, need more of it. There's yeah, a, the do. most recent two or three ones. I was like, I didn't. I don't get it that much. The last one, I forgot what it was, but I, mean, I loved con- it. Creating content's hard, guys. Yes. Come on. Oh, he, like, oh, with that frequency, right? Yeah. Like, you're going to have some diamonds. You're going to have some mm-hmm. other ones. Just you're going to have some turds. Tell, turds. tell us about that, you know? Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're in that game. <laughs> we're in that game. This disqualifies as a turd. No, <laughs> this will not be a turd. We haven't had a turd, I don't think, yet. I don't think so. Some of our intros and outros have been... Yes. Fucking it's always been on bigs. us. If it's a turd, it's because Dave and I failed. <laughs> yeah, as it's team. not. It doesn't happen in this time. No, when we're talking with the guests, it happens when we're alone. And <laughs> Keenan, can you? So you had climbed at two gyms. I had climbed at two gyms before opening your own gym. Which well, is with fantastic. my brother too. Like brother. He, I had a partner in crime. Correct. It wasn't just my bad idea. <laughs> is, is your brother? He's here. Okay. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. He's okay. a part owner of... Yeah, he's principal on this gym. Okay. What's his first name? Derek. Derek. Okay. Siri, Shut up, Siri. Siri. We're not interviewing yeah, you. Yeah, don't get jealous. <laughs> I but, want your attention. So you had two... You pretty much climbed to two, started a gym with your brother. Yeah. Then so, how did you go from that to becoming a level five route setter? 
Uh, oh yeah. So, <laughs> That's like a so pretty serious jump. I, I figured out after the gym was open and running, I thought that the, the one thing that I was most drawn to was route setting. Like there was okay. just something about it that mm-hmm. I loved. Um, within the first year of operating, Derek went to do a route setting clinic at the Boulder Rock Club and his, um, his instructor was Tony Aniro. Yeah. As soon as that happened, uh, we started inviting Tony to come down to Miami to mm-hmm. teach us about yeah. how we do this thing. Uh, and that's how it started. The, at the same time that it was uh, like route setting was a focus, it went hand in hand with coaching for me. Mm-hmm. So I was, the, the two things just go hand in hand, period, for, for at least they did for me. So I was starting to coach athletes like Matt, like Megan yes. at the same time also. Um, and I think that Tony at the time was, he was, he definitely was, he was the national chief route setter for junior nationals. And at the time it was, the ASCF was kind of not really doing anything. Mm -hmm. Uh, The JCCA at the time was the big, they were putting together big youth national events, 200 kids, 200 plus kids, uh, sport climbing, speed climbing. And it became clear to me that if I wanted to, uh, see what I had, like see what skills I actually had, I needed to get there. So I interned there, I volunteered there. Mm-hmm. And after that, I got asked to come back and work with Tony more, uh, work with Molly and Kevin a lot also at those times. Mm-hmm. The the crew at the time that uh, was setting nationals was um, Tony Nero, Kevin Branford, Molly Beard, uh, Derek Wagner, and myself. Um, yeah. Wow, what, that's an a fucking elite crew. There was a lot that, uh, the, the, there was a lot of branches to that tree. Yeah. They really are. Um, and really all of them stem from Tony. They truly do. That's Kevin so, does as well? Absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. I mean, the dude was a talented climber, no doubt. He was like a junior national, national champion, yeah. uh, national champion as well. Um, he was, I don't, he was on, uh, he was on a commercial with Tony the Tiger for Frosted Flakes. Whoa! <laughs> Kevin was? Kevin was, yeah. Oh my God. He's such an undercover dude. Yeah, for oh, sure. That's amazing. Uh, so, and I guess it, at this, and at the same time too, I started volunteering as a, a U.S. team coach. So mm-hmm. I was start, I was just trying to make myself as available to USA Climbing or its iteration at the time, the JCCA or USCCA, whatever it was, I just wanted to be involved in either coaching or route setting uh and then we opened the gym in miami in 1998 um by 2005 2006 i was getting kind of tired of living in south florida thinking that i'm a climber um, yeah <laughs> looking for a partner maybe that's a climber too yeah not that great uh <laughs> so i decided to move to boulder um and when i moved to boulder in 06 uh i took part-time work at USA climbing 20 hours a week at 12 bucks an hour. Uh, it was good money at the time. Good hourly wage at the time. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh my God. And as just an office assistant and I was still taking the, the gigs of route setting for nationals and, and mm-hmm. coaching as well. Um, and the organization got behind me. Uh, they started mm-hmm. to support me and give me the assignments as national chief route setter and as well. Um, started supporting my travel to take international route setting clinics. Um, I, I, the, the, this generation of USA climbing's route setters, their skills and experience far outstrip anything that I ever had. Like they've Mm -hmm. got, uh, we've got route setters now and involved in USA climbing that have over 25 world cups under their belt. I think that my max, I, 
I did 10 World Cups, I think. It's all relative, though. I mean, at the time you were doing it, I'm sure it was extremely like, cutting edge. It's just generational, right? Yeah. Right. And I was the only American doing it at the yeah. time, really, um, which was, which it was different. It was definitely different. Wow. Uh, and yeah, that I, 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 like I was saying before, in, in terms of just uh, opening yourself up to opportunities, I just kept saying yes. Yeah. Right. You keep getting asked to do things. You keep saying yes. Things start happening. Um, That's awesome. It, it, yeah. The, I mean, the funny thing is too is that it took a lot of pushing from Tony for me to yeah. actually change from the assistant to the chief for those crews. Like, mm-hmm. uh, he he was trying to to ask me questions that would get me to come to the conclusion that I knew I was ready to be chief and I was just not, not having it yeah. until he just finally stopped me. I was like, you're going to take this yeah. and I'll be there for you. But, uh, were you intimidated, just intimidated by yeah. the responsibility of it all? Yeah. Just, uh, if you don't think you got it, it's a hard thing to yeah. wrap your mind around yeah. until some, yeah, unless you're meant until your mentor says, I'm telling you, you got this. <laughs> you're ready. You're not going to fucking know until you try. Yeah, exactly. Right. Uh, and that, play, that definitely plays through to today, like, uh, in everyday life for sure. When you got to get out there and try it. When, well, I don't mean, I don't know how nostalgic you are. Um, I'm a nostalgic sap, but do, do you ever take time to like reflect back on that? What I see is like an unlikely rapid rise that you were definitely the engine of. I'm not saying anything was lucky. I'm like, you're working yep. your ass off, but do you ever look back at that in like Marvel at those experiences that you had in, when climbing was kind of like in its infancy and in competition in the United States? Yeah, and- absolutely. I mean, I was, I was given the keys to, at the time it was a beater car and it ended up being a pretty nice <laughs> sports car at the end, right? Yeah. Um, but with those keys, it also allowed me to tinker with things a little bit. Yeah. And I, didn't, I don't know. It's not going to happen in today's USA climbing. There's no way that today's organization would hire someone like me and just, <laughs> uh, you know what? I think I'd, I I want to switch to, um, this modified scoring system. That's a riff off the IFSC. Then I would just do it <laughs> like for the whole organization. Yeah. That shit does not happen now. Yeah. Like yeah. there's no way that the rules committee is letting that happen. Uh, but at the time I could make those kinds of changes. Definitely working with, uh, um, in the, I mean, I, I can't even list the number of staff that were part of USA Climbing that helped get get along the way. But the, uh, Chris Danielson was the right hand for me with the rules nice. stuff. And between him and myself, him developing this route setting certification program with USA Climbing and really professionalizing the the job mm-hmm. uh, specifically for competition. But there is absolutely a, a trickle down effect with commercial route setting. The the skills that you learn with those competitions. And, and the clinics and that kind of stuff, it absolutely plays through to leadership management and putting on commercial routes, putting commercial routes up. And with him taking that and just working hand in hand with a, a staff and, and a small board of directors that believed in the vision that I had for the organization, I don't think that all of those things would have necessarily aligned today either. So it's not it's not to say that... Uh, um, I don't think it could ever happen again, I guess, is my point. No. Which is something to marvel at. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Really. Once in a lifetime. And, and there's also a, a, a quick plug. There's uh, Bergman's writing a book about the history of competition climbing. Yeah. Oh, sweet. Um, that comes out this spring. Yeah. 
yeah. in the anticipation of Tokyo. I think that he'll have some inside stories too. Gosh, that is it's such a climbing. cool story too. I mean, we just, asked, I, I got a hold of him, I don't know, three months ago. I was like, dude, come on and talk to us about the Olympics. He's like, let's wait for it to get a little bit closer, maybe spring. <laughs> and as soon as I heard his book was coming out like two or three weeks ago, I was like, oh, oh okay. I see why spring. <laughs> yeah. Smart. Smart yeah, man. for sure. <laughs> yeah. And I guess back to the, I'm glad that he's putting it in print because um, I'm hopeful that some of these legends will live on through the stories that he's telling. Because if he's not writing them, yeah. the stories about Meckler, the Molters as well, and their yeah. history with competition climbing, yeah. Scott Rennick. Uh, yeah. Like the, there are some heavy hitters out there that if Bergman doesn't write the book, I think they their names get kind of lost um, for, relative to competition. Mm-hmm. Molters are living on, obviously, for other reasons. Uh, Rennick's wonder of climbing business journal now. Like, the, yeah, I saw that. All, we're all moving on to bigger and better things. Yeah, but it's really cool. It needs to be chronicled, I guess. Was Rennick uh, the uh, ABS? Mm-hmm. That was all he, his. Yeah, he created. The, it was originally the Eastern Bouldering Series uh, that he created, which uh, ended up expanding nationally and turning into the ABS. And then uh, it was uh, it was bought by what was called the USCCA at the time, United States Competition Climbing Association. Soon after that, it turned into USA Climbing after the merger. Wow, man! All Rennick, yeah, all just a dude sure. living in Boulder. Uh, yeah, I mean, at the, he started it out of Ohio. Oh, really? Yeah, he was living in Ohio and he moved to Boulder. I, I, maybe in I don't. You'd have to ask him. O two or 03, he moved to Boulder, um, but he he started it all really in the middle of nowhere in Ohio. That is cr- I remember climbing with him on Flagstaff. We were buddies back in the day and I had never no. mentioned it, never talked about it. I'm just it's like one of my climbing buddies. He was, I mean, he was one of those dudes that at the time that was kind of into the bouldering only even before yes. Free Waco and uh, uh, Rampage and all that shit. Yeah. He was already into just bouldering. Ah, there's just, it's amazing to think about all of these people mm-hmm. that made all of this possible that just nobody really knows about. Yep. I mean, it's true of anything. Yeah. It's true of the it's NBA. It's happening at surfing too, right? Like, yeah. Absolutely. There's people whose names are not getting written down or hopefully it's, I, I get the sense though too, that don't you think this surfing has more of a culture of storytelling than climbing? Like they, they do a better job of keeping those surf legends alive. I think they have maybe an, I don't know. I've, I don't know anything about the surf culture. So, well, I mean, <clears throat> You know, from endless summer on, they certainly do. Right. And climbing didn't have a movie in 1972 or whenever, 68, whenever endless summer came out. But I feel like the guys in the valley, and despite guys like Chris Bonington who are writing like these epic tomes. Yeah. But um, like Steve Roper and uh, Tom Frost taking photos. I feel like they did a pretty good job. The Yosemite crew. Yeah. Yeah. But other than that, yeah, that culture didn't really start. Or it wasn't maybe as deeply ingrained in the mythology. Right. I, I don't know about that. You ever though. seen the book Vertigo Games? No. It's, uh, I've got a copy of it at my house. It's front range climbing specifically, like really? Eldo, uh, South Platte. Dude, I've got, it's got photos in it of uh, Jim Erickson at age 20. Jim, wow. Like, yeah, it's, it's rad. It's really good. Man. Someone needs to compile like a required reading list. I, I, it needs to happen for today's climbing youth. 
for their own sake, <laughs> for, their own right? sake. for their own well-being this needs to happen i fantasize <clears throat> constantly about writing like a history of front range bouldering areas because think of the stories you could mine from like flagstaff and morrison and horsetooth gross reservoir Remember the time when turn that frown upside down was accessible? Singular objective? Dude, those boulder problems are arguably two of the best boulder problems in the what? front range of Colorado, and we can't access them. Dude, I remember when 9-11 happened and they shut down Gross yeah. Reservoir. We were going there what? all the, the time. time yep. Like, Tiki Man was such a fun... Why'd they uh, shut yeah. it down? It's, it's just <laughs> under uh, the dam. Uh-huh. So their their fear is that someone will go below oh, the dam and my drown God. everybody downstream. It happened right after... And it happened about a year after nine yeah. eleven. Maybe they shut it down. And I shit you not, Feedy, these boulders—they're <laughs> really good. Damn it! Well, now that's a wow. That's crazy. You can't even find photos of those problems online, really. Like, yeah. to, you can, there's there are some photos of Sharma, Malcolm Smith climbing on it, I think, and Tommy maybe. Yeah, Tommy right. climbing uh, the sunshine one. What was that thing? Singular called? objective return that front. One is I can't remember the names of the V eleven or yeah, something. Right, yeah, right, right. Those are those are definitely all stories I would love to hear. Just because you go to a climbing area and you're just like, I don't. This is just here. I'm just gonna go climb on this rock that's called this. I don't know why. <laughs> like it's such a. It's just. It's a very opaque thing. So having kind of a history book would be super. Well, super in Colorado, important. it's just so the the. It's like the one of the beating hearts, right, of climbing history in America. And to hear the stories of just, I want to read a book about Jim Holloway. I mean, he's still alive. Right. right. He's doing fine. Can't walk very well because his knees are blown out from mountain biking and climbing. But, God, these guys are all still around. Mm -hmm. Dave, do it. I know. (laughs) Dave. (laughs) Tough to write a book with no money. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Work some of those cruise ships. I know. I was just going to say, start building walls on cruise ships. Maybe I'll have some time on the plane. Uh, yeah, you don't ever really cruise either. No. It's not like that. But I did, uh, I mean, through that cruise ship work, it, it would, I, I, I kind of felt bad at times because they would, they fly you to Barcelona. Mm-hmm. They put you up for the night. The next day you have to do, I don't know, anywhere between two and six hours of work. Some of it could be relatively manual labor. Um, you present them with a bill, inspect their equipment and say, yeah, all these shoes, they're in <laughs> shitty condition. You need a whole new fleet of rental shoes. Yeah. I'll order them for you. Uh, all these ropes, <laughs> these things are dangerous. <laughs> Dangerously abused in this saltwater yeah, climate. Can, I cannot They've actually used. moved to auto belays only now on the <gasps> cruise ships. Um, that's, that's not makes sense kind of. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, they had some incidents I think that necessitated it. Oh God. Uh, I think they were trying to teach people how to belay too. That I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it in that environment. A cru- yeah, cruise ship a bunch, of, a bunch of drunk cruise ship people. Like, oh, which way do I hold this ABC? Right, it's an ATC. That is. Don't bother. <laughs> yeah, just don't use. Just it. give it to me. Yeah, exactly. That must be something that's perpetually on the mind of a gym owner. It's just the safety of the gym itself, right? Yes, Cause absolutely. Because it's just, that's the number one like risk to the business. Is, I mean, you know what, Fidi, yes. you know yes. what it's like. The responsibility that's given to you as an employee at that gym, it's resting on you. It's me. It is. No, it's true, yeah. Right? Like, we don't do shit without the front desk mm-hmm. worker actually keeping an eye on things. Yeah. And it's... I mean, how the, does it sit on your shoulders? It's a lot of weight. It's a lot of pressure, you know? Are you being <laughs> facetious when you say that? Because you got a shit-eating grid on... 
It is. Though. Is it though? I think, kind is, of. I think there is pressure. Like you have yeah, a responsibility so for sure. I know. That's why I was like, I saw him laughing. I'm like, no, really, this does sound terrifying a bit. You know, you you definitely see just the influx of so many new people coming in, not necessarily being taught the best practices. Um, I don't know. That just seems like a really interesting problem to solve because everybody has their own firm set of beliefs on how to do things safely. And uh... well, but then again, you have these accidents like John Long gets dropped five years. John Long oh, and right. breaks both his ankles, you know, terribly. Yeah. yeah. When I was that comp that I emceed, mm-hmm. right when as the collegiate like regionals was ending. A kid did fall and compound fractured mm. his tib fib mm. right in the middle of the comp. Mm. I mean, what you can't do anything about it. It wasn't it, it wasn't a front yeah. desk person's fault. It was just a kid took a mm. bad fall and. That's one thing that we I'm pretty proud of at USA Climbing is the uh, on the bouldering walls that we had with that padding surface. <laughs> there is a very very low injury rate considering the moves that those dudes are doing. I know. Dudes and girls are doing taking diggers regularly yeah. of every type. Especially with away. the dynamic nature of comp climbing now. Right. It's like you're... Comp bouldering. Yes. You yeah. might be spinning in midair. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's scary, man. Speaking of which, so you transitioned from that level five route setter yeah. into the CEO of USA Climbing. Yes. This is, yes, this is on, this is ongoing kind of. Uh, really? not, not to this day, but at the time while I'm... Uh, um, while I'm ascending to level five with USA climbing and doing the international route setting certs, um, I also, I think the first position, it happened actually after Mike and Ann Worley mm-hmm. left to start Movement Boulder, uh, which happened, I think, within a year of me arriving in Boulder to start working USA climbing. I, I don't know if that, well, the, uh, the listeners may not know this, but um, when I came on at USA Climbing as the office assistant, uh, Ann Worley Moulter was the mm-hmm. CEO and Mike was the operations director. Mm-hmm. So when they opened uh, Movement Boulder, they obviously had to leave USA Climbing. I took over as the operations director and the board hired uh, a gentleman from the U.S. Olympic Committee named Keith Ferguson. Yes. Keith came to the organization with a background in, uh, at the U.S. Olympic Committee and professional bull riding. Whoa. Uh, and he, he definitely had an impact on the organization. Um, the biggest, one of the biggest things that he did was take uh, uh, all registration online and mm-hmm. through USA Climbing. So, for example, up until that point, we were, regard, we were relying on facilities to host a regional championship yeah. according to the structure. They could charge whatever they wanted and they would collect the money themselves. USA Climbing didn't get a cut of it. Keith flipped that on its head such that USA Climbing did all the registrations and then paid out the gyms for the for hosting the competition and also regularly increased the cost such that the gyms wanted to host the events, oh. uh, which that's that was the gas to light on the fire of youth competition mm-hmm. climbing in the United States, uh, was getting the gyms to, uh, to get behind the idea that, oh, you're going to write me a check for $50 a head? on this competition and you're going to have it in my hands the Monday after the event, you can guarantee me 200 kids also. <laughs> yeah. I, yes. think, I think we want to sign this contract. <laughs> I'd love to do business with USA climbing. Yeah. And, um, you, you, 
you start to provide a standardized product that they can come to rely on mm -hmm. and parents and youth climbers, they'll participate. They'll mm -hmm. come back for more. We were just sort of talking about that on the drive over here is, is how the future of competitive climbing is kind of youth developing the youth circuit in the U S because that's where we're going to get our competitors yeah, in the absolutely. future. I mean, you look at gymnasts as well. Like it's, it's a, it's a, it's not a similar morphology, but it's a similar uh, type of strength that's necessary. Mm -hmm. Women's gymnastics team, it's very young, right? It's, it's, it's inevitable. Yeah. People our age are not going to be performing at that level. Come what? It's the truth. <laughs> this is science, years. Dave. This I'm is still science. Still training for it for that for day. Youth, for the youth nationals. <laughs> I'm still training for youth nationals. You're not, Get out of my way, Spanky. You're not training. You're just going to the climbing gym. That is true. I do not oh train. No, you just he just shattered the world of like thousands, dude. It, but he me. just exactly yes. described my world. Yeah. Yes, it, I, I do not train. It drives me nuts when people are like, "What are you doing? I'm going to train. Get the f out of here. You're going to the climbing gym to session. That's not training." Yes, absolutely. absolutely. A lot of people are training though now. It's like there's an in that's another industry that's risen up. Like you were talking it about, is true. you were a coach. In like the early 2000s, we were talking about this on the drive here. I was like, man, early 2000s, there weren't that many coaches. No, the, 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 the coaches on the U.S. national team were uh, myself, uh, Claudio Vitalescu out of Atlanta, uh, Kyle Klinkscales, Team Texas, Tyson Shaney, uh, Vertical World. So Team Texas, Team Vertical World, now Stone Summit with Claudio and myself. For some reason, I had just like a couple. These guys had like mega teams, right? <laughs> <laughs> but I, I was a, like I had a not a specialization, but I could I had I did a good job at reaching the 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 older kids and the ones that were that just maybe didn't connect with someone like Kyle or someone like Tyson. Like I had an ability to connect with specific kids in a way that they couldn't. Mm -hmm. um, and I think I was just fun to hang out with too. Yeah. <laughs> That's important for a coach. But we yeah. like between myself, Claudio, Kyle and Tyson, we functioned like a really, really well-oiled machine. We really, really did. Um, we went to our first international event in China, I think in 2006, yeah. actually. Um, wow. Pooch was on the team for sure. Uh, yeah. It's, it's, it's just, I've, I've been able to see the world through climbing. Too. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's been crazy. I mean, that in and of itself is crazy. I mean, Florida has churned out some monsters. Mm -hmm. Florida has so many strong climbers come from Florida. Mm -hmm. It's truly bizarre. It is kind of bizarre. <laughs> but I do like it. Maybe when I was saying before earlier, like I have an aversion to the term community. I like the term culture. I, yeah. I, I have a more of a, a positive feeling about that term and what it can, mm. what it can notate or what it can reflect. Uh, I really think that the culture, in, the climbing culture in Florida is rabid. Yes. It's, and you, you, put, you put these, these people in a, a small space working together trying to prove the rest of the country wrong about something that's yeah. going on. Like, no, we got something cool here. Yeah. And I don't give a fuck what you're doing. We're going to go down this road. Um, there's just this weird attitude with Florida, like, I don't, I don't know. It, it, it's, it's a strange place. Yeah. We uh, talked to Cesar Valencia. Yeah. And he hinted at this as well in the same like uh, opaque kind of esoteric way. He couldn't quite put his thumb on it. But he's like, people down there are fucking psyched. Yeah. Like driving the, what, eight hours to horse pens or Correct. whatever? Like Correct. on a weekend. Correct. 
because they're just psyched out of their yeah. heads. And yep. you, you can kind of value it more too when it's not so readily oh my available, yeah. I think. Absolutely. I think that makes you appreciate it a lot more. Yeah. Yeah, you think there is a long list of Floridians, uh, Siegel, Megan Martin, Caesar, um, Max Zolotukin, yeah, Zolotukin. Oh, yeah. Mark Mercer, um, Randy Hill, Randy Hill. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, there's this, my brother actually just got this photo out that had, uh, it was from a, a local bouldering comp at Agui in Orlando. Um, it's, and we were all competing. It's me, Max, Matt. And my brother standing there says, it's just a great, great photo, yeah. black and white. Um, there's, there's just a, a, a strange scene in Florida. It, it's, they're rabid. I guess that's the best way that I can put it is they're, <laughs> they're rabid for about gym climbing, and about rock climbing too. I think when you come to places like when you move to Boulder and I moved to Denver and for climbing right after college in 2000, um, I was rabid as well. And you come to a place like this and you're it can, the specialness of climbing it doesn't wear off but you take it for granted yes. right and you're like man people fucking love climbing in colorado but man people in iowa like only read rock and ice and only read climbing magazine and the only dvds and vcr tapes they have are all of their climbing movies they and, only wear prana yeah it's all <laughs> you, yeah, you go to shield sports and buy your prana gear um it's true, though. Yeah. It makes those places really special. And, like, like, again, don't you think that that can exist for surfing, though, too? You need those surf pools, man, yeah. to, surf build, pools. to build this culture in those, in those towns that are landlocked. Keen, are you a big surfer? No. <laughs> I'm terrified of sharks. I am, too. They're very scary. Surfing was the only thing that I ever tried in, in Florida besides climbing that ever elicited the same similar emotional response. Like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, not to, not putting the sharks into play, but just like there's something about surfing that makes me feel similarly when I climb. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah, playing with elements, maybe I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. Surfing, anything with water, right? <clears throat> surfing, whitewater kayaking too. Yeah, you're just climbing. I always feel like you are in a bit of control. Not alpine climbing, right? <clears throat> but if you're cragging or bouldering, you're in pretty decent control. When you're whitewater kayaking, when you're surfing, you are fucking in the thing <laughs> that formed the rocks. Right. Like you are messing with a power that is unfathomable yeah. and can change on a fucking dime. Yeah. You, it's, yeah, it's that, a that's true. It's a, it's a moving medium too. Like I had this, yes. uh, uh, this conversation with Siegel after his accident from paragliding. Oh, yeah. Actually, yeah. Uh, I didn't even have it with Siegel. I, I had it with Cedar. So Siegel gets injured. I go to Cedar. I'm like, Cedar, what, what the fuck with this paragliding shit? And Cedar's answer was, uh, Matt's kind of messing with stuff that you don't mess with. You're either like 100% mm -hmm. devoted to that thing 100% of the time. You don't dabble in it. Yeah. Right? You don't dabble in whitewater kayaking. No. Like serious whitewater kayaking. Serious whitewater right? kayaking. No, no, no. Uh, you don't dabble in big wave surfing. I dabble in uh, free soloing. Yeah? Yeah, just just try it out every now and again. Yeah, that's another thing you don't try not to dabble in. <laughs> yeah, no. Have you soloed the, any of the flat irons? No, I haven't. Not in my tennis shoes. And don't do the first. I know. It's the, terrible. The first I hear is terrifying, and people is go terrifying. up it because they are like, oh, yeah, it's going to be fun. I had, uh, but 
Brady Robinson and Alex Kossif dragged me up the first solo. <laughs> oh man, I had to talk to myself like I had. Oh like, my god, I hate Keen and I really want to go down right now. Mm, you kind of can. can't. You need to keep <laughs> climbing because there is no way to get down now. That makes me just nervous thinking about that. That does get my heart racing. Yeah. You know, that's that another feeling. book that could just be written of people like people's Mark conversations on the just wall. Just fucking Mark Wilford getting benighted there when he was in college. You know, just yep. all those stories of just terrifying moments on 5'8", 5'6", 5'4". But the second flat iron feedy. I hear it's a pleasant experience. Yes, you will have a good time. Wally has done the second flat iron. Wally, Wally wow. freed it. Whoa, Wally is a badass. He is. I'll send you video. Wally's a Keenan's adorable little dog. Wally's at home with wife right now. Wally and I were pretty close the short amount of time we had together. Wally yeah. likes you because you you kind of look like me. <gasps> you guys do have a similar yeah. look about you. My mom's my mom's Chinese. Really? Yeah. Oh, cool. She's running around in there too somewhere. We're halfies. So what, you're like 40... 45? 44. You're 44. You're... Are you sure that maybe... 26. 27. You guys... This could be your son. Did you I've mess around? To, and... I've never been to Iowa. <laughs> <laughs> Have you been to New York? Yes. Were you born in New York? Look, Dave, I wouldn't be half Chinese, half white if my parent was half Chinese and half white. You would only be a quarter. Yeah. true. You'd Come only on, be a Dave. quarter. I'm sorry. I'm Are sorry you half Chinese? Yeah. Mom or dad? Mom. Yeah, me too. Wow. She came to the U.S. at age 14. Whoa. Oh, no kidding. You're yeah. second generation. Yeah. She, 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 they, they moved from uh, Chongqing, China to Biloxi, Mississippi first. Biloxi was the wow. first move. And then they moved to West Virginia. Oh, my God. So no culture shock at all. <laughs> Can you imagine? Not Vancouver. Not San Francisco. When you went, when you went not to Seattle. Holy That's a shit. bold move. That is, is Biloxi. Is. Yeah. Oh my god. Have you guys ever been to Biloxi? No, I've never been to that part of the Deep South. I, I have a, a pretty good story. That's this is this is good. Uh, so we're doing uh, Atlanta Lead World Cup. Uh, okay. I can't I can't remember which year it was. We did a Lead World Cup. Brought the so after Snowbird, there was a gap of like over fifteen years for a Lead World Cup. Snowbird was eighty nine. Yeah. That's when Tommy like destroyed it, right? Yes. Yes. So, uh, brought back two lead world cups. The first year was in Boulder at movement Boulder. And then the second year was at stone summit in Atlanta. So at the time, the, the board president for USA climbing is a guy named Darren Perry. He's the owner of the stone summit gyms out of Atlanta. Uh, and, uh, real, uh, he and I have a great relationship. I consider him a super close friend as well. So we're, we're standing there at finals. I have a hard week of work, obviously getting ready for the comp standing there at finals. Everything's coming together. And Darren walks up to me and he's like, uh, so are you happy? I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty happy. Things are getting there. Things are going well. Comps going well. We're about to wrap up. Looks good. He's like, do you want to go out tonight? I said, yeah. What are you thinking? He's like, well, I don't know. Just, uh, meet me in the parking lot after we'll clean for an hour and then meet me in the parking lot. I'll take you out. So he goes, bring a friend too. So I go to, uh, Scott Meckler. Scott Meckler is the guy that created the, the PCA. Yeah. This is like uh -huh. the, the American competition bouldering first generation, hands down, like the fucking OG of bouldering competition in the United States. I remember. Uh, he's there at the event, uh, helping me. We're doing venue stuff. He's emceeing the event. You guys would make a good team, actually, oh, on God. the microphone. <laughs> uh, 
So Meckler's like, yeah, well, I'll go, I'll go. And uh, so we, we clean up a little bit and get in the car, and Darren's, Darren turns to us, are you guys ready? Yeah. So he drives us to uh, the regional airport that's 10 minutes away from the gym, and <laughs> we get on his plane and fly to Biloxi, Mississippi that night to spend the night gambling. Whoa. So, <laughs> wow. Uh, <laughs> we land at like I don't know it's it's midnight when we land uh, <laughs> it still takes so the other side note I mentioned <laughs> I, sh- I shouldn't say this actually uh, you, I, you I can change up, the well, names yeah, for change, the well, can you blank them out we'll, we'll blank them out yeah, yeah we'll blank them out perfect uh, so <laughs> He's, he's there at the event. Uh, he's serving his medical for, for helping. Um, he's helping serve his medical coverage for the event. And uh, he finds out where we're going. Like he runs up yeah. and he's like, I, he says he can't go because he has a flight out at 7 a.m. And we, I can't guarantee that we'll be back by then. <laughs> so he gives me, he gives me a hundred bucks. He goes, uh, he goes, put this on black for me. Whoa. And he goes, take this pill. <laughs> Yes. All right. Here we go. So uh, like, you'll need this. <laughs> he goes. It's, he knows that. Like, dude, I go. I fall asleep at like fucking nine p.m. Right. Yeah. He knows it's going to be a long night for me. So I get my hands on this pill. It's it's called Pro Vigil, and apparently, oh, yeah. apparently this shit was developed for fighter pilots yes. to stay awake oh with God. no no jitteriness. Right. Like you can you can stay awake for hours on end. You don't feel like any kind of side effects that are negative whatsoever it's just like you're fucking on point dude <laughs> so it's so, like speed it's not though because it's it doesn't like get your heart rate up it doesn't make you jittery or anything like that it's just that you're awake right Military you're not like grade. you're not like amped up or anything yeah. you're not it you're just a hundred percent awake wow holy shit I this is the only this. time i don't even like i think that I in think the meantime they've developed some other drugs that are better but i've looked it up recently and it, uh, it's dangerous it, it? it's kind of dangerous but they were charging <laughs> like fucking a thousand dollars a pill or something for these things and uh how long does it last well i found <laughs> yeah. out that it lasts about nine to ten hours oh god <laughs> but he, he gives this to me and uh darren's Darren, like I, i'm not a gambler at the time i, I I'm not good with numbers really, but with Darren teaching me how to, how to play blackjack and under the influence of pro vigil motherfucker, I was Dustin Hoffman. Like I could count, like I was in the matrix, dude. I was seeing numbers in front of me and shit. Like I wasn't, I could, I could like, I was operating on another level, right? Is that how this gym was funded? No. (laughs) He's selling Pro Vigil in the back, dude. It is how it was built by me. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> My hands. 46 uh, hours I built this gym. Holy so God. we end up gambling that night. Uh, it, by the end of the night, I remember looking over and Darren sleeping on top of the, the slot machine. Oh my God. Um, Meckler is ready to go home. So we, end up, we, get, we call a taxi to go back the hour to the airport. Everybody else is falling asleep in the cab ride. I'm fucking wide awake, right? <laughs> And I'm have sitting, you been drinking? I had the, a couple drinks. Like I wasn't going. I wasn't really going for oh, it. Thank God, because that would be really dangerous. <laughs> Hyper focus, super happened. drunk. <laughs> <laughs> I might have flown the plane. Exactly. <laughs> you might have just flown. Period. Wait, I know how to do this. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm I'm sitting behind the, the cab driver, and everybody else is passed out, and I, I notice like he's slowly going. He's going slower and slower and slower. Until, and it, at some point he's going like 15 miles an hour on the side of the road. And I'm like, what's going on? He's like, the, the car is overheating. Like we're breaking down. So he gets off on an exit and we sit at a, a gas station <laughs> to wait for a replacement taxi to be sent out. I finally got home at like 
I think eight eight a.m. to Atlanta, mm. and then couldn't fall asleep. <laughs> that day was not fun. The, Holy the, the, shit! The come down from that, that one. That I was gonna say the feeling of wanting to sleep and just knowing it's impossible Correct. is an extremely exhausting feeling. So you're just like, cool. Yeah. No matter what substance you're yeah. under, that's just a shitty feeling. Yeah, it's not good. Yep. And that like once in a lifetime, right there. You don't. Like you don't get offered to fly to Biloxi, Mississippi for the night to go gambling under the influence of ProVigil. ProVigil, man. That's a name of this episode. (laughs) We're going to have to research that. Flying with ProVigil. Well, I'd be interested in seeing what the effects might be on climbing. That'd be really good. That's aid. Would that be aid? Mm. It'd be illegal for competition purposes, right? That's kind of... Are there drug tests? I mean, I know that like Sharma got nailed in like 2000, but like what if a climber is on Adderall? Uh, like you'll get that, busted in baseball. No, there's, there's, ex- there's exemptions specific. There's a therapeutic use exemptions for specific okay. drugs uh, whereby you, you just have doctor provide you with the documentation to justify the use of the drug uh, and that it falls within specific limits of dosing, I think. Uh, that, that's something that I've kind of wondered um, Climbing to me has always seemed like a relatively clean sport in terms of athletes not necessarily taking illegal performance enhancement drugs. But now that you throw Olympics into the mix, you have some countries that have questionable history with performance enhancement drugs and athletes participating. Are you talking about the Russians? No. Yes. <laughs> Sensitive subject currently. And yeah, I mean... Not Ukrainians? I don't know. Are they doing it too? It was the Ukrainians who took the drugs, not the Russians. The Russians are our friends. I'm dovetailing <laughs> politics. Yeah, I'm, I'm dumb. I'm dumb. <laughs> Rudy Giuliani is giving pro vigil to all of the <laughs> Russian athletes. I know it. That's what he's doing over there right now. Anyway, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was, I don't know. Was that a, was that something you ever noticed as a mem- as a, someone in that scene, like competition? I mean. Or it- I think that I, I never saw anything directly with my eyes like syringe in butt or yeah. like drugs or anything like yeah. that. But you got to look at some results and think, uh, okay. really? Like speed climbing. Yeah. That seems if like... there's going to be a natural fit for performance enhancing drugs, in my mind, it's speed climbing. Yeah. It- well, it just you, most you per- saw Real Rock last year. Yeah. Reza is a beast. <laughs> I'm not saying that it's because of performance-enhancing drugs, but dude is like, he is Dis- built like yeah. a fucking tank. Yeah, he's also like five four. Yeah, it's pretty easy to get big when you're true that small. But nevertheless, the thing about performance-enhancing drugs, though, is like a lot of them build bulk, build yeah. muscle mass, and yeah. that's what you use it for. Mark McGuire, Barry Bonds, all of these, Lyle Alzado. From way back in the day, if a climber, like I can't imagine what a climber would use. Well, they, I EPO. Mean, they, they apparently, yeah. Oh, blood doping? Blood for, doping, yeah. yeah. that's true. I mean, I'm sure climbing's going to have to wrestle with all this someday. I mean, yeah. there, and like, there's other federations that are notorious, notorious for cheating really? in other ways. Like, that's, yeah. That's a good point. <laughs> like that, what? Just smudging, like what was the last hold, maybe, or uh, or if there's a, a venue that's open to the, like they'll sneak in and take a look at the routes before the competition, uh, if not be snuck in specifically to climb on the routes before the whoa, competition. That's shady. That's crazy. In such a small sport like climbing, people are. If I if I say a country, you got to 
beep that beep. out too. Say it, we'll beep it. <laughs> I will beep it. So what country are you talking about? <laughs> Dave's going to write out beep. some names. <laughs> country. Can you confirm? Do you like me? Yes or no? <laughs> You'll have to tell us afterwards because exactly. I want to know okay. what that country is. Yeah, I won't put that one on record. Feedy said Russia. I didn't. <laughs> I will. Yeah, you know what? Russia proven. Whoa, big statement. In right climbing? There. Not necessarily climbing, but it just in terms of the the culture. Russian, yeah, the culture. Of abuse. The athletes are just Did you guys watch Icarus? Yes. Dude. Holy it's crap. pretty crazy, it's right? It's pretty nuts. Did you see this? I yes, but it you was like late I, I don't remember it very well, but I watched it when it came out on Netflix, yeah. was it? Yeah. The machine that exists for, for cheating in Sochi specifically. Dude, it is insane. Unreal, yeah. man. It'd be like me building a bunch of fucking hidden doors and trap doors <laughs> inside this building so that I could have the U.S. team cheat if I hosted a World Cup. Yes. So did you? No. <laughs> Can you, are you trying to tell us But I did the, see Rocky Four though, and that told me everything I need to know about cheating. <laughs> if you remember fucking Drago. Dude, he was hitting a computer. That's technology. <laughs> there are also the syringes going into... Come on. I watch it it's once true. a week, every week. I will break you. Oh my He's like a rag doll. <laughs> It's another, it's another one when you can't knock out Rocky, maybe ninth round or so. All right. Um, okay. We got off topic okay. there. I, w- I want to talk more about USA Climbing. Okay. So before you, it was Keith Ferguson, Keith the Ferguson rodeo was, guy? was the rodeo guy, CEO. Um, and then it was nobody and then a marketing executive? Correct. Marsha or something? It was Mary Claire Brennan. Mary Claire Brennan. She's at, from uh, Colorado Springs. She actually lives uh, in town Oh, here. right on. Um, that was, uh, less than a year Yeah. after which they named me a CEO. They were like, Keenan, we're done playing these games. How did that happen? I, I though? wish. <laughs> <laughs> how did that, yeah. how did you get, was that a surprise to you or no, did no. you see that one coming? Yeah. Uh, it became clear that, uh, the only logical choice to lead the organization was me. I was the one that was most well-versed in its day-to-day operations in its overall strategy. I had the best uh, relationship with the board of directors and I'm a climber. Yeah. Uh, that was enough for them to realize that they shouldn't try to put the bull, bull riders. Well, just put it in the hands of someone who is not. Yeah. If that makes sense. They were probably casting around for professionalism. Correct. Absolutely. At that time. Mm-hmm. And just like, Climbing be damned. We, we need somebody to professionalize this organization. Absolutely. And do you feel like maybe they started having second thoughts about those decisions? I, af- I don't af- want to af- throw af- anybody under the bus. I'm not saying that, but um, they were like, we need to... Just in seeing there, that there was potential for a significant disconnect between that environment and the climbing community that they knew they had to reach. Yeah. Right? Uh, yeah. It, it, I, as you see it time and time again, you can't necessarily expect it's not a marketing exercise, people. Yeah. This is, this is meaningful to me. (laughs) Yeah. That's, I mean, that'll definitely help (laughs) if you care about something a lot. Right. And how was that step into the CEO? Yeah. Yeah. It was fine. By that point, I didn't need to be prodded. It was, it was more about, uh, Tony didn't have to be like, you're ready, young man. It was more about me being like, I need this organization. Y'all, you fucked up. I'll work with you guys. We'll come up with the strategy, yeah. but you need me in charge. Cool. And they were supportive enough to, to do so. And so what changes did you make? What changes needed to be made to you? Cause your tenure there 
was like, in my mind, was kind of like the explosion of USAC. Uh, I think that the, the, the biggest thing to hang my hat on with USA Climbing was standardization, I think. Uh, standardization and professionalization of roles. Um, I developed a staff that believed in it. Um, we developed a support system for regional coordinators that were operating on the ground um, such that they were able to expense out some of their expenses. They weren't operating only as volunteers anymore. Um, standardization of events, standardization of scoring, standardization of payment systems. Um, oh, that scoring debacle yeah. back then was something else. Oh, dude, it was a moving target for four years. I remember just reading uh, The Climbing Narc would always have posts about the... R.I.P. Brian, yeah. where are you at, dude? R.I.P. Mr. Reynolds. He's living the life in Wisconsin, man. Yeah, he is. Last time I saw him, we got we took his little one up Green Mountain. Oh. I think she was like two months old. Nice. <laughs> uh, we have a side story about him real quick. I got to tell yeah, you yeah. this because you'll get it. Obviously, you know him. Um, so... They were our third interview was Chris Widener and because we wanted this podcast to be, we don't only want to talk to like climbers. We yep. want to talk about industry-wide stuff. And I so wanted to talk to those guys about being the commentators <laughs> at USAC events. So we had them on and they were psyched and like, you guys uh, think you're going to the Olympics? Like, well, we haven't gotten the call yet, but you never know. And what was it? Like three days after we posted it, yeah. they got canned. ESPN took over. Megan Martin and the first joker they had, they got fired from ESPN. Like after that first comp we're on and we were like, Oh my God, it's the thunder cling curse. curse yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. What are you guys going to do to me? Well, the trend <laughs> has continued. I mean, burn this place down on our way out, dude. <laughs> we're taking it down. No, they're the only cursed ones, but it was At least like, they'll be on our way out. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, that podcast did not age well. Yeah. I, um, Anyway, that's sorry. a tough one too because it's reflective of uh, um, the break between USA Climbing and Louder Than Eleven, who definitely brought the yeah. organization to. They had a large part to play in the prominence yeah. that it currently has, and to have it handed over to ESPN isn't great. Um, I can't I can't say too much about it though, too, because I put together that deal. Yeah, like the ESPN deal. The ESPN deal represents something that you just can't walk away from no. as an organization. I, yeah, yeah. You know. I thought it was a great. I have no bad feelings mm -hmm. about it, other than the, the, knowing the, Brian uh, and being friends with Chris yep. and like seeing those guys lose the, which they're both totally fine. Yeah, oh, <laughs> they I both know. have like good careers, <laughs> but they were seeing them because they're so earnest. They were yeah. so earnest on the mic and goofy. Yeah, I mean, I think but you that, make. Sorry. Oh no, yeah. I was just gonna say. I think you make a good point though. It's like it was a logical, progressive mm -hmm. step for yeah. climbing. That kind of unfortunately needed to be picked up by a big network and and for it to happen after usa climbing becomes part of the u.s olympic and paralympic committee that it, is what we we're shooting for that that mm -hmm. kind of thing is exactly what we were shooting how for. did that deal happen the I espn deal super fascinated to hear it <sighs> i i should i can't give you the specifics on it oh honestly. my god <laughs> okay. dude, you're crushing. now i am gonna burn down the place <laughs> 
I can tell you about the process of uh, uh, USA Climbing applying to the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee, which was kind of crazy. It's not yes. as juicy as well, that stuff. Well, okay, we'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. I mean, that was a huge fight to get climbing into the Olympics, right? Yeah, Just, and, and the like the overall fight to get it into the Olympics was undertaken by the IFSC, the International okay. Federation of Sport Climbing. And for a long, long time, it's not as though I was against it, but my intention was to not necessarily put forth USA Climbing as pro-Olympics, but mm-hmm. to go along with it when it inevitably became part of it, to the degree that I never really approached the US Olympic and Paralymp- Paralympic Committee until after it was already in the Olympics. Um, we didn't have a relationship prior mm-hmm. really to, to climbing being in the Olympics. Like USA Climbing did not have a relationship with USOC prior to it being named in the Olympics. But so you guys just had your ear to the ground this entire time? What do you mean? Uh, just listening to what, paying attention to what's happening. For, you weren't rel- Relative contr- to the Olympics? Yeah, yeah meaning sure. you well, weren't we would, in control of it. We weren't in control of it. The only thing oh, that wow. we could control was to become part of the national organizing, uh, the national, which is USOC. Okay. We, we have very little impact on the international movement with the IOC. That's done by the IFSC. It, and it, it, I still kicked and screamed a lot with those guys in the decisions that they were making with the IOC, for example, yeah. combined. like Yes. Oh, right. Why, why was that like they were either going to take all three, potentially one single discipline or not like... Correct. Essentially, so the the, the IOC was in the the higher ups at IOC were first exposed to uh, bouldering. Okay. It, they, it, it's a spectacle, but they kind of didn't get the the scoring component of it. Mm-hmm. Then they saw lead, and it's less of a spectacle, but you get the scoring much easier. Yeah. You understand it more easy. And then they saw speed, and they're like, like "Holy <laughs> shit!" <laughs> The exact guys, opposite of any core climber looking uh, at these things. You guys put this bullshit in front of me first, and you got these dudes running up here in five oh, seconds? Oh, my God. What was wrong with you? So I think that essentially <laughs> IFSC was faced with, we really want speed, but we have these other two disciplines that are more core to the actual sport that yes. we have to have as part of this. Yes, absolutely. And I, I do think that the, the progress for Paris is good, mm-hmm. uh, that they split, they've added the set of medals specific to speed and the combined will only be for bouldering and lead. That makes sense to me. Ah. Yeah, that works a lot better. And mm-hmm. if it, it does represent another step in the right direction. And I do like, don't get me wrong. I think the IFSC getting it in, in front of the IOC and becoming part of 2020 as a combined was brilliant. It's, it, I couldn't have asked for anything more, especially mm-hmm. if it's a step towards further development that close, more yeah. closely yeah, aligns yeah. with how we feel about our sport. It just get the foot in the door. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And that the fact that they were willing to add some more medals the second year for Paris. I, I kind of think it's going to be really interesting to see how that event plays out because that's obviously going to be a very sta- almost standalone type because I don't, I don't really, you don't really do that <laughs> at any other event, right? What's what that? The uh, combined of all three evaluating. Pentathlon. The pen- <laughs> Decathlon. Decathlon. For climbing, at least, yeah. Uh, the swimming medley. Biathlon. They run and shoot these cross-country Yes, scenes. that is fascinating, too. That's one of my favorite winter sports to watch. Yeah. That is so fucking cool. Curly. Well, that one has roots in some kind of... Thing, it's right? like Biathlon. Icelandic hunters. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and military roots too. Yeah. Um, 
So not to be Debbie Downer, but were there discussions when it's heading towards the Olympics about, of course, the impact of climbing, reaching this level of international recognition to lay people, to everybody, and how it's going to impact the popularity of the sport, thus impacting our natural areas and no. our natural resources? No, 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 no. There's none no of those conversations, conversations about natural resources and the potential impacts to that as a result of climbing being in the Olympics. No, 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 no. Are you being serious? No, I'm being it? totally serious. There's no thought about that really? at the international level whatsoever. Wow. Dave's concerned. I am concerned. I mean, I think we're, everybody's a little bit concerned. Uh, just the, the trajectory pl- of the sport, period. Yeah. Vis-a-vis impact. There, well, for me, the, the, the impact is going to be relative to this business. Yes, correct. Right? Yes. Um, there isn't really an international advocacy group for climbers' no. areas, areas, right? In the U.S., it's the Access Fund. That shit doesn't exist everywhere else. I guess maybe it's part of the Alpine federations. Like the German federation, the DAV, probably has a voice in access to natural resources relative to climbing. Yeah, I'm sure European countries do, they for have, sure. They have governmental support. The networks are already intertwined mm-hmm. with each other. That does not exist in the United States, right? We're non-governmental agencies. Yeah, exactly. Like in Austria, it's run by the military, right? Correct. The mil- military there, kind military of... presence in, as part of the, the federation, for mm-hmm. sure. Wow, that's interesting. But do you think about that stuff? I think... When it goes to the Olympics? I do, you... yeah. Well... Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we were just talking about the, the the potential impacts relative to this user group being introduced here relative to Castlewood Canyon. Exactly. Yeah, it, absolutely. I. <laughs> but what can I control? In, uh, I know. I did. That's the reason I just paused there and like laughed to myself because we do this many time. times on this podcast, and of course, when you're sitting around with your buddies with a beer, you talk about this. What can we do? What right. can we do? I don't know if there's anything to do education and I don't know. We don't have to go down that road. Take some level of ownership over the communication that they receive. Right. Um, Recognize the importance and the opportunity that you have to make that communication and maybe course correct in some way. If it's off course, I don't, I don't know. I think, I think it does rely on communication from the gym to its members. I agree. That's the best the best opportunity to reach those folks, especially at the beginning. Can I ask another question about gym? Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a gym, I think it's in Memphis, Tennessee. It's that a is, nonprofit. Yeah. Wow. And there's Memphis one in Rocks. Canada as well that's attached to a high school mm-hmm. right outside. I forgot. Central Sonich is that one. Okay. In Victoria. And these gyms are offering financial aid to underprivileged youth and things like that Mm -hmm. is that which i think is marvelous it's really cool boys and girls club kind of vibe to it Mm -hmm. is that something that you would think about doing for this gym even though i know that colorado springs is fairly wealthy right Uh, i i would absolutely and i'd probably try and affect it through public school system um, as opposed to just randomly trying to either target a specific group that represents itself as something that maybe it's not. Yeah. Um, I would rather try to build partnership through public school system because those kids are there hands down period. I, you don't have to go, go far searching for them. 
Is that something you think you're going to do? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, man, that's absolutely. cool. Uh, no gyms in Denver that I know of or Boulder do that. Movement Rhino does it, for sure. Rhino, Rhino. does it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh. They've, uh, they've got a relationship with local school um, specifically to serve underprivileged kids. No kidding. Yep. That's awesome. That's my they, gym, baby. They, that's my gym. Yep. Uh, yeah, they're definitely doing the right thing there. Oh, that's great. I think that's a really good step to be taking too. I just think it's something that's so easy for the gyms to provide or help out and mm-hmm. climbing should, you know, we say it's accessible, but kind of isn't I disagree with that hundred percent. Right. The trage- we're talking about the trajectory of the sport, right? The trajectory of the sport is this is going to become a wealthy person's playground. $20 a day, $80 a month. I can afford it. But a lot of people can't afford that. $180 shoes, $300 crash pads, $90 harness, $200 for 12 quick draws. If you want those pencil spirits, at least. <laughs> then you only get 10. That good stuff. <laughs> Tax-free. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't feel like climbing is be, like going in the direction of being all-inclusive, but rather going the opposite direction. You know what I mean? Yeah, It's absolutely. getting expensive. I mean... It's all getting expensive. Cost of uh, minimum wage in Colorado is eleven ten now. Yeah. Right. Eleven ten. I gotta pay. I gotta pay those kinds of wages. Mm-hmm. Yeah. More than that for folks like Feedy. <laughs> Put in too much time at the front desk, you know. There's a Working lot of knowledge way. between those years for climbing gym management. That's yeah. right. It's true. More than eleven dollars and ten cents. More than minimum wage. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Keenan, you've had an extremely windy, interesting career through the climbing world. And I have to wonder what brought you back behind the, the infrastructure. scenes infrastructure. And then now you're coming back to gyms. Yes. So what brought you back to that kind of level, I guess? That's a good, that is a great question. There, there are things inherent with development of organizations that are distasteful to me. So okay. for politics, number one, I really, as soon as we entered um, Olympic status, become a part of U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee, uh, things start to change with the organization. Uh, people start to have expectations, both the membership and the board of directors. Um, what are an example of those expectations uh, in a nutshell? They Maybe, maybe personal agenda or expectations about how the organization should be run in a way that I never have. And that because of the, the industry that they're coming from, they think that that's the only way to run a business or an organization. And I did, I definitely did try to run USA climbing as a small business, even though it's a nonprofit. Um, and they, they started to, the board of directors or, or membership or staff, they, they start to, um, not seize power, but how can I get mine? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Uh, how can I fulfill this one thing that I feel very, very strongly about, even though yes. I recognize it may be at the expense of something else. Um, and those things start to become like come down the pipeline regularly with me. Uh, also with, uh, uh, coming into, uh, the family with us Olympic and Paralympic committee too, and elevating USA climbing into a, a national governing body of repute that could be considered to be well-run safe sport. Uh, safe sport is uh, the sexual and mental abuse uh, educational program that the U S Olympic and Paralympic committee created 
to help NGBs yeah. like USA Climbing um, prevent abuse by people like Larry Nasser. Right? Yeah. So uh, uh, they then they did an incredible job of creating a uh, what's now its own department and its own organization of safe sport um, with educational components that help educate people about what what to do or how to spot it or just educate people right also part of that comes with uh, part of that that comes with that is uh people making allegations about shit uh allegations about coach abuse um uh athlete abuse this kind of thing this starts coming down my across my desk pretty regularly also Mm. which is pretty distasteful shit yeah um and also because of uh, uh, Larry Nasser at the, the late stages of uh, 2018, 2017 and early 2018, USA Climbing um, is audited by well, Congress and U.S. House of Representatives because we're suddenly part of the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic family and they saw what happened with USA Gymnastics. So they want to know if it's happening at any of the other NGBs that are part of USOPC. Uh, all of this is not my cup of tea at all. Sounds rough. It's it's heinous. It's not fun. Like <laughs> it's just not a fun environment to to focus your energy on. Right? Okay. Like thinking about abuse of minors or just abuse. Period. Uh, dealing with legal teams asking you pointed questions about shit. It's just not. It's not a fun environment. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I also knew that uh, my brother was moving out here to Colorado and was going to open this place as well. My family was moving out here. Um, my wife was going to enter a graduate program for physical therapy. And with USA Climbing, like I would be on the road six months out of the year. I knew that I wanted to be in Colorado a, a lot more. Um, that was the main reason for me leaving USA Climbing, truly, was uh, to spend more time in Colorado and at home um, and to... In some ways, uh, I, I'd, I'd watch this climbing gym industry um, not not bypass me because I was involved in it in some way at USA Climbing, but I watched it develop in and of itself yeah. without my without me having anything to do with it, and knowing that like maybe I had something to contribute or had mm-hmm. some some way to benefit from that. I was tired of sitting on the sidelines. Um, that is so funny to hear you say yes. as the CEO of <laughs> USA USAC, Climbing. you're like, if sitting on the sidelines, it's no fun for me. Well, I mean, also inherent, and uh, I mean, I'll, I'll say it and maybe sound like a real capitalist, working in a nonprofit is a fucking grind, man. Yeah. You are overworked and underpaid 100%. Part of me wanted to enter private sector. Yeah. For profit work. Sure. Uh, yeah, got bills to pay too. Got a wife in yeah. school. Do you think? <laughs> do you think that's why, um, like USAC doesn't retain their CEOs? And like, I think of uh, the Access Fund, and American Alpine Club. Like Brady Robinson and Phil Powers both had a hell of a run. Yep, they did. But still, nobody's there for twenty years ever. Correct. Uh, I think my personal feeling, like I think about this, I've been thinking about this a lot, and I think that what we're witnessing actually is kind of a, a, the cyclical nature of climbing gym industry in general. Mm-hmm. Right. I see a lot of movement on the ten-year marks for people myself included. Like I'm, I find myself attracted to ten-year cycles, roughly of projects kind of like uh, something to focus on. 
Uh, I see a lot of movement with uh, high-level route setters recently also. Like, I think that there's a, a churning going on that I think could be considered cyclical in some yeah. ways. Um, and I think that there's a lot of people like me that will spend nine or ten years dedicated 100% to something and just naturally look for something else. Be, like you may be sitting yeah. at the at the top of the food chain within that thing and things are going great but you're just you're tired of Stagnant. that grind yeah right you're tired of spinning your wheels right there in that one maybe you'd be more interested in spinning your wheels someplace else you may sure. still be spinning your wheels though what about about route setting these people who are like washing out because they're tired of whatever that may be can a route setter make a good living yes they can. Absolutely. Okay, that's good to hear. They can. Uh, yeah, they can, for sure. And that involves going through the level one to five program? No, or not necessarily. No? Like if you can get in on the ground level with a facility that's building that doesn't put an emphasis on that certification program, like maybe they train in-house. Yeah, absolutely. The, the, there's potential there. Um, I'm, I'm actually of the mind now. I'm wondering whether or not there is the potential to turn that so we've, we've spent the last 10 years within the climbing gym industry um, professionalizing route setting, right? And these yeah. guys are hiring head route setters and assistant route setters operating at a very, very high level, salarying them and linking them specifically only to those facilities, mm -hmm. uh, right? I'm, I'm of a half a mind to think that that model could be turned on its head with a stable of route setters coming mm -hmm. in privately to come in and do a job quickly and efficiently and turn around and walk out the door and that's a freelance it. crew, correct? Mercenaries, essentially. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like for example, what I did with the opening for this one uh, was I hired uh, Thread Consultation. It's uh, Chris Danielson and Brad Weaver mm -hmm. out of Boulder. Mm -hmm. uh, I had those guys come down and set the gym. In addition to getting help from Kevin and Tony Yao as well, but the 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 efficiency that those guys can operate in it's unreal. Like yeah. you, you can't even hope to approach the pace and skill that they can display in the job that they do like wow. it, I, I turn I, I i set so technically i'm taking I'm, I'm supposed to be the head route setter here i have yet to turn a fucking wrench <laughs> or get in the left all i've done is set things out and make sh make sure that things are in place so that when yeah. those guys show up in the building they just get to work and then when they come down off the lift i'll clean up the mess and put it away but they're here to do a job, and that job is not to fucking mess with handholds. Their job is to put that shit on the yeah. wall, yeah, and do it right. I mean, that's a gr go ahead. I'm sorry. I was sorry. just gonna say, as someone who's been a part of the root setting world for a little bit, it is it, it is such a chaotic place, you know, because mm -hmm. they're always trying to figure out like what is the model that fits. Because root setters want a specific thing, gyms want a specific fit. So I, I like that idea. I think that's great. And Me too. There's that gym in Western Slope that I think they like. Mm -hmm. Carbondale does it yeah, as well. Yeah, they f like bring in a crew at once a month and they just reset like the whole gym. Mm -hmm. and, and, and maybe this is only in Colorado that you can do this, right? Maybe. Right. Cost efficiently. Cost least. efficiently to this level, but man. And then if the, if the third party or the service provider is coming with the workman's comp coverage, you've, you've checked every box of pain point that I have as a gym <laughs> owner. And all I do is write a check and you guys will put that level of, of yeah. 
fucking sex on my wall? Yes, <laughs> absolutely. And just I'm think sold. in the future, what you could do, if it does go the way that you're talking about, which I think is a brilliant idea, by the way, think of what the gyms could do. They could shoot out their email and be like this set by correct X, Y, Z company. People are like, Oh, I know those setters. That's that great crew we climbed on last year. And, and that, that fucking opportunity didn't exist 10 years ago. Oh my God. That's an incredible idea. Well, so where are the mercenaries? Ideas. Are there any, is there anybody out there well, building yeah. these companies that are like the, just total freelancers? Yeah. The first ones, uh, there's two of them in Boulder right now. Uh, no kidding. Yeah. What that, do you, my, my preferred one is Danielson and Weaver. Like why would I, mean, I go anywhere else? Yeah, that's pretty good. I mean, but you have you and Kevin as well. Like, yeah, Tony, the, uh, Isaac Powell oh, was Tony. in here, uh, setting as, I, I mean, I worked for Tony as an assistant when he was the head at Boulder rock club. When I moved to Boulder in 2006, Tony L was the head route setter at BRC. I, I was his little assistant. Wow, man. You're like a thoroughbred racehorse, dude. You've been you've been mated with all of these legendary people. <laughs> the branches of the tree that yeah. extend very, very Keenan far. Is a extre- it's extremely crazy. well networked. I like it. Oh my God, it's just wild. It's just wild. We want to ask another question though. Yeah, last one yeah. about the gym industry. And it's a we touched on this. How do you so L cap? Uh, what are they called? El Cap Corporation or whatever? El, El Cap. El Cap, I think. Okay, so El Cap goes to Planet Granite. They go to Chris at Earth Treks, and they go to Ann Worley and Mike at Movement, and they buy it. And yes. now there's this giant conglomerate. Yes. How do you, you think that's the future of climbing gyms? I don't know. Like, how does that whole thing make you feel? Uh, it's inevitable, number one. Yes, for sure. Absolutely. But, but I don't think people should make the mistake to think that uh, uh, it's going to happen in their neck of the woods. Period. Like it's 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 not that far of a stretch to think that it's going to happen in Denver. It just did, right? Yeah. Portland, major major markets. Folks in Iowa don't need to be scared, right? Um, <laughs> folks in Iowa are scared of nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Um, like they're not, those guys are not trying to gobble up, um, everything in every third or fourth tier market, Mm -hmm. but they are absolutely going hard in the paint in those second and first tier markets for sure. Um, if you are in a, a major market and they haven't, and you have a, a really, really big gym like in these guys as well, they're not interested in version 1.0 of climbing gym. They're not trying to roll up and buy extreme. They're just not, (laughs) it's not, it it adds nothing to their portfolio, but movement climbing and fitness. Yes. Like why would you not? They've got their, their, the gyms are some of the best managed gyms in the country. The people that they push through there, it's astronomical. The numbers of people that they just push through Baker period. Then you add Boulder and Rhino. It's unreal. The company culture is very, very strong compared to other gyms that I, and other gym families that I've seen operating. Uh, the culture at Movement is stronger than anything that I've got going on at these gyms, for sure. Hmm. Um, and with one fell swoop, you can add three gyms to your portfolio that are already operating at a very, very high level. Right, turnkey. Correct. You're like it's like franchising a McDonald's. Correct. And if you're given that opportunity as El Cap to roll all of those three with one transaction, 
you would be stupid to say no, especially if they're movement climbing and fitness facilities. What is LCAP? Uh, it is the formation of... Uh, Planet Granite? Private equity money. Planet Granite and Earthtrex came together to form LCAP. Mm-hmm. Each of those two brands keeps their brand as a But didn't Chris team. Warner totally sell? Like, isn't he totally out? He sold he sold his shares in ownership. To LCAP? Correct. Wow. And he is retiring on an island somewhere <laughs> very beautiful. I, I mean, not that he already couldn't do that because right. he could. He's just down in Golden rock climbing. <laughs> just chilling. Correct. I talked to Mike the other day. I had like a half hour conversation with him on the phone. He's like, dude, call me a sellout. And he was like asking me, he's like, just do it. Call, it, call me. <laughs> I don't Please fucking do. care. I'm going skiing tomorrow. I'm climbing the day after that. This is the most this is, amazing this is, thing. This is the best question that I could, I could pose about how things played out is uh, to look at you guys and say, what do you think Mike Moulter's workday looks like now? <sighs> like, what do you think his day-to-day schedule looks like now? And tell me you're not fucking jealous because yeah. I am. Yeah. Period. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and take that as uh, if LCAP offered... Don't I, I, if they offered maybe I tr- I've I've actually tried to pitch them on the idea yeah. of buying some shitty gyms in Florida and they didn't buy. <laughs> <laughs> Our Iowa listeners don't try to yeah, sell. Try. Um, and I, sh- I shouldn't say shitty either. That's horrible for me to say. True, it's just that they're version 1.0 gyms from the late 90s. Yeah, I mean, period. It, I mean, to me, is it, not interested in that. But they would be interested. I'm sure they are in discussion with Touchstone. I don't know. Maybe. I mean, don't they have like 10 gyms in the Bay Area? Definitely. But Planet Granite has always been the, the competitor to the Bay Area touchstone gyms, right? right? They've been right, right. not enemies, but just fierce competitors with each sure. other. Well, right? Earth Treks and Movement were kind of competitors for a little bit. Sort yeah. of. Kind of. Yeah. Not like fierce, though. No, not like fierce and, not, uh, and definitely not with that many gyms in play, right? Like those guys are another level. 10, yeah. gy- ten I mean, how many does Planet Granite have? Five? Yeah. yeah. And Earth Trek size. At least seven or eight. eight right? Yeah, I think eight. I mean, from a membership perspective, like if you're a member, it's hard to complain because now what? you literally have access to 17 gyms across the nation. On the flip side of that coin, I get to go to Earth Trek's Inglewood, which is a fucking shopping mall of climbing. It's yes. insane. It is the it's biggest climbing facility I've ever you seen walk in my into entire that place, life. You don't know where to look. The first time I walked in, I was like, where's the food court in Old Navy? <laughs> yeah. Like this place is, is there a baby gap here? This place is fucking gigantic. The, and think about how, how difficult it has to be to try and create some kind of culture or community in such a space that's so oh vast, right? You can't. Like, you run the risk of, of someone walking into the sport climbing area and never having an interaction yeah. with the person bouldering ever. 100% right? guarantee like, it's like happened. There is no community. passing in the night. <laughs> I don't think, I, I mean, I don't think these mega corporate gyms have much of a soul as just a normal user like when i go into inglewood earthstrikes inglewood which i'd gone into before anyway and just paid the fee i don't feel any community whatsoever there i feel like they have a badass facility that 200 people are in while i'm there but there's plenty of space and i'm just going like you don't are you're not going to have a face-to-face interaction. You're not going to have to kind of step aside in the hallway as somebody walks by you. It isn't that kind of gym. It's a fucking five-lane highway. Right. Right. And you get greeted by first name when you walk in movement. Yeah, it is it's slightly different. We, we do our best. We you do. really do though. True. Like it's 
there's a lot of truth to that though too. Like imagine what it would be like if you were treated like norm every time you walked into the gym. It's fucking awesome. Yeah, Who doesn't want that, right? Imagine this. What if you could determine uh, member of the month and every time you scan their card, it would it would go wah, 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 <laughs> throughout the whole gym or something like this. Whoa, it's the member of the month. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, on the mic. <laughs> Wouldn't that hey, be awesome? Why unless, would got, unless the member had social anxiety. Correct, they're they're like, like, oh, it. fuck. I didn't want to be this. Hey, if it's your birthday and you come into movement, it goes, it makes a special sound. For Does you. it really? Yeah. Do a recreation of the sound, please. I'm honestly, I'm trying to remember really hard right now. It's been a while since someone's oh, walked in. Dude, maybe you are only worth a little. Well, I know the sound when your membership's expired. Yeah, and people are like, what is that? I'm like, it's not good. It's not a good sound. Probably means your paycheck didn't go through. That notification is from the hospital. Oh. <laughs> All right, All right Keenan. Well, oh man, I could just keep talking about this stuff for hours and hours with you. It's just ridiculous. Should we do a round two sometime? Yes. Absolutely, Keenan. Yes, yes, I'd yes. love to. Yeah. The and state should... of climbing, your breadth your... of knowledge is so vast, and ours so very small small that it's fucking amazing <laughs> that we can go down like 16 different avenues like this is gonna be uh what if maybe we should do another one down here though too and we'll bring in someone else from colorado springs climbing circles yeah, yeah. absolutely we'd love it how about jimmy dunn <laughs> okay yeah you'd be into that right <laughs> yes of course yeah he's any- colorado springs too I had no idea. Mm-hmm. Wow. Old school, classic. Dude, we that- used to set up groups to go cli- on climbing trips out here in the South Platte from Miami to climb with Jimmy Dunn. Whoa. Man. He's did a, you see? He's a wild man. Did you see the climbing zine is coming? You know, climbing zine, that magazine? No. It's a little magazine out of Durango. It's really well done. It's really grassroots. Oh, I've seen it. I've seen and it. I really love them. And they, they hire the it. best writers in the nation. You should sell yeah, it here, man. Because it supports like just Luke Mayhall and his tiny little crew. They're really good. They do all the shipping and everything. But um, they're coming out with like a book, a chat book, and it has Jimmy Dunn on the cover. And he's like signing copies for, I don't know how many he's signing, but if you buy the book, like if you're one of the first, you get a signed one, just a classic one of him, I think, climbing in the creek. Wow. Yes. I, anytime you can uh, hook up. Jimmy Dunn to chat. You'd be into that one. Oh, yeah. Let's see if we can make it happen. That would be so much fun. Yeah. Let's let's do this regularly, gentlemen. I'd be into it. Fuck yes. All right. Thanks, Keenan. Adios. Bye. Bye. Beautiful gym, by the way. Because social injustice don't give my respect now. Some say my heart, it's bleeding out of my chest. If I had to lean one way, I'd probably lean left. Zowie. <laughs> wow. Man, thank you, Keenan, if you're if you're here right now. Thanks, dude. Thanks so much for letting us interview you. Cause man, I have always wanted to talk to you about your interesting past. I would so he I worked the front desk at Movement and he started showing up a few years ago and I was like, Who's this cool guy? And I would just keep hearing these weird facts about him that were like, Wait, he did that? Like, oh what? He was that? Yeah. So it was fun to actually uh sit down for more than 15 minutes and unpack him a little bit because he is fucking filled with interesting facts that is not going to be our last talk with keenan so no. 
after the interview ended, he's like, you know, we should, uh, we <laughs> yeah, should, was... we should make this a reoccurring thing. We're like, really? Yeah. Hell yeah. yeah! A guy like that has, can offer so much insight into the sport. Yeah, and um, oh yeah, he's such a good contact. Just to have, yeah. If we, there's ever something coming up, we can just be like, Keenan, Keenan, tell us what, what to think. <laughs> tell us what to say on our pod. So, so thanks, Keenan. Your gym is fucking awesome. Yeah, man. Congratulations. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed that one. Yeah. And on our, we kind of touched on it in the intro, but this episode is coming out maybe slightly longer than our normal pace. Which, where have we been, man? The fuck? Yeah. Realistically, we, we have been, you know, holiday season and life responsibilities have kind of kept us a little busier. Than Real normal. rock. Real rock. Moving. Mm-hmm. Houses by yourself. Yeah. Other than uh, you all know and love Todd. And of course, Travis from Sauce Night, they helped help help me move. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we've been so freaking busy. Um, and when life gets in the way, baby, it runs straight over the podcast. Yeah. It breaks all its bones and runs it over. Yeah. And I, I've done this a few times in the, these episodes or in our past episodes, but uh, it's always awesome when people chat with Dave and I about the pod or send us the notes. And there's been a lot of really positive feedback lately. So that's been really, oh, I've been really late heartwarming. On, been late on those replies too. Been, you know what? Tonight I'm gonna write two. I'm gonna write two emails back tonight. Yeah. So thank you for that. Thank you, everybody. Uh, we're gonna keep on trucking. We're gonna keep on keeping on, and yeah. we're gonna keep it a little bit tighter because yes. the holidays are no excuse. No excuse. It's no fucking excuse <clears throat> to be there late. There is nothing but the Thundercling podcast. There is nothing. Sorry. Keep saying it to yourself, that's dude. That's why I go to bed every night. <laughs> um, We'll uh, we'll do our best to keep it to two weeks. Sometimes it'll go to three, like yeah. it did this week. But uh, we'll, you know, this is a, a pro bono effort we got going on over here. Yeah. So we do our best, but sometimes work and life shit gets in the way. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, we um, just had a banger. Let's just all celebrate yeah, let's that celebrate. fact. I, I wish we had a soundboard right now because it would just be like cheers, like. Ah. <sighs> Um, and also, you know, it's almost holidays, so fuck it. You know, everybody's got to be happy. Everybody's probably happy right now. Maybe. I don't know. Some people fucking hate <laughs> yeah, Christmas. Yeah, actually, this is apparently a very hard time for uh, people who don't have families necessarily. So, Well, that fucking brings it down yeah. a peg, dude. Well, you're kind of walking that way. I just need Was to, I? I wanted to spit Shit. the pack. So everyone... If oh, you, if you're struggling... Be, be open. Open arms to people who you think might be struggling. Yeah. <clears throat> Reach out to your friends. That is a good point, dude. I'm sorry Spread I gave you a little bit of shit right there. Yeah, it's okay. That's I nice to... Probably deserve it. Yeah, you do, but that's... You're, <laughs> you're turning into a upstanding young man. I just want to tell you that. I'm an adult. Thank oh. All right. Well, all right. I'm an adult. Uh, I'm big boy, David. David. I'm big boy. Um, okay, these big boys have some shit to do. Yes, like present a which. song here in a second or two yeah. where I kind of shit on Todd and Travis. But that's beside the point. Let's uh-huh. let's talk about how people can get a hold of us. Once again, if you want to find us, we're on Instagram as the thundercling. Thunder uh-huh. And on <clears throat> on Gmail, we are <laughs> there as thunderclingpodcast at gmail.com. That's right. You know, just once again, what is it, 26th, 27th episode? I think I say this every yeah. episode. If only 
the people could see you writhing in discomfort yeah, as you time. as you do that little th- hit at the end. You think that I would have by now written a note that or tattooed it onto my forearm so I could just look in this situation? <laughs> it just brings me so much joy. But the procrastination and laziness that I'm capable of is yeah. truly outstanding. Astounding, th- excuse me. I think everybody knows both yeah. of our procrastination and laziness. Oh my God, guys, it's a problem. finally hits the ground. It's a problem. Anyway. Yeah. You know, I've been thinking too. I oh, wanna, shit. I want... I think we could do a better job of having a more interesting Instagram. So keep your guys' eyes peeled. Whoa. I we're gonna have to talk about this after afterwards. I agree. I agree. I'm not very good at social media. I, yeah. I frankly don't give a shit. I just do some political things and get my fury. You guys out message Dave it. about politics. He loves oh, do he it, loves dude. writing. Do it. I'll fucking hunt you down oh, and my. fist fight you. <laughs> I, mean, I only maybe. fight with nip. I only nip fight. You got Well, I'll give you guys some nip dip. If you, if See, you, you're right. I know you're still out there running from me, dog. Whoa, buddy. Don't forget, hey. I called you out episode one, whoa, whoa, whoa. dude. Bare-chested gravel hey. driveway Take wrestling match. All right? Just person with the, the most holiday season. Purple with the most pur- person with the most purple nurples at the end wins. All right? All right. Quit running. You good? Yeah, sorry. All right. Cedar, you've been called out uh, just literally yet again. For the fiftieth time, where are you, man? Where are you? Don't or just come. Or just come on the pod. It'd be cool to talk to you. That'd be cool too. Yeah, I think cool that. Too. I think maybe why we're doing all this. Yeah. Anyway, um, all right. Well, well, you know, we'll see you guys in two weeks. Yeah. Be safe, everyone. Yes. Check all You're of not. your safety equipment. Yes. Redundancy, redundancy, diligence. Be safe, please. And that is all. That is all from the Thundercling podcast. That is all. Enjoy the coming song. Enjoy it because Dave, he's been a little bit of a writer's block boy lately. But I had about two months of writer's block, but I think took I got some it. took some mental fiber. Things were running smooth. Yeah, I, sm- I smoked some mental fiber, <laughs> and uh, I learned how to write songs. Oh my again. god! Yeah, it's not legal where some people are. If it's not legal in your state, you can't listen, guys. It's illegal. The cops might raid your door. Boo, dude! Yeah. Keep getting it from Johnny yeah. over in the hood. Thundercling is a high is an at risk podcast that's right yeah we're dangerous we've been i can't labeled. even see you from all the pot smoke in this room right now oh my wow that is first of all don't lump me in with you 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 huh? couch what you, you you chip dip eating do you want some nip dip you i quite frankly wasn't i wasn't, I wasn't gonna put, say anything but dave is shirtless and just his chest hair is covered in french onion crusty with french onion i'm not gonna lie it looks kind of tasty and with and that, with that We bid you a sweet, sweet adieu and happy holidays, and we'll talk to you in two weeks. Oh, go bye.
until you kill all the spackle poo and swear off chicken bend and new I wanna climb, climb. You got chores to do. Don't wanna climb, climb. Better clean the loo. Let me climb, climb. Tax season is here. Why can't I climb? Fuck you. Trip to the red, now the dog is dead. Put him in a shoebox and hang board instead. I don't wanna talk out of school, but my motherfucking friends are lame. Ask them to help me move my house. This is slow, we didn't make it to the crack. I wanna climb, climb. You got chores to do. I wanna climb, climb. You better clean the loo. Let me climb, climb. Tax season is here. I wanna climb. Fuck you! For eight hours a day. I wanna climb. You can go climb. Maybe you should write a song. I wanna play guitar all day climb. and it'd be a happy song because that's what you do anyways. I wanna climb. Alright, fine. I mean go. See ya. <laughs>